0: Hi everyone welcome to Office Hours Saturday it's great to have you here if you're watching on YouTube you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global our first hour is general discussion about media production and our second hour is something we want to spend a little bit more time on usually today it's a whole hour of Q&A for hour two so if you've got questions today is your day go ahead and throw those into Makana and vote on them so we know what you want to hear about first if you're not yet in Makana No worries, you can still ask questions using the QR code right here and at askofficehours.global. That's askofficehours.global. There you can ask questions 24-7, super easy to do. Oop, can't compliment it enough. Uh, But let's get into the show. Uh, Go ahead, Mitch. Thank you, CJ, and uh,
1: good job. Uh, first question up from Khalid Ajumaya from Hassa, Saudi Arabia. Is there a noticeable difference between prime lenses and zoom lenses in terms of sharpness, especially if both are high-end lenses? Also interested in buying one of the following: a Sony twenty-four seventy millimeter two GM two point eight, or a thirty-five millimeter GM
2: one point four. Go ahead, Nigel. There, there is a difference. Uh, you, you asked, is there a noticeable difference? And I think the answer there is depends what you're doing with it. If you're doing uh, video production, uh, I can't see much for difference uh, typically between similar lenses from similar man- lens manufacturers like that. But but people with better eyes than me tell me there is a level of sharpness. Uh, I will tell you that typically if you're in the middle of the zoom lens range, uh, it 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 pretty sharp. It's when you are on the extremities that you start to see. A difference. You'll obviously see a difference in the bokeh because of the focal length of the lens, and you'll see a difference depending whether you go to the same manufacturer. So, uh, while the Sigma for Sony, at least both the Sigma and the Tamron lenses are great, they may not be as good as the G Master lens from Sony. But if what you're doing is 1080 out of them, they'll both be great.
0: All right, Courtney.
3: Yeah, I agree with Nigel. It it depends. Now, if you're shooting film of a uh, reg- of a resolution chart, uh, and you're comparing lens a, a zoom lens against the same millimeter of a prime lens, you can probably see the difference when projected on a big screen. Uh, but if you're doing production for television, I dare anyone to be able to tell a difference if they don't see the image size changing during the shot, uh, whether that lens is a zoom lens or a prime lens. Uh, and it depends on the quality of the zoom. There are really good zooms these days. And as you know, it makes some great ones uh, that uh, track really well. And uh, it's really hard to tell the difference between the primes and the zooms, especially even on
1: high def television. All right, Mitchell. I'm so sorry. I have to slightly disagree with my uh, compatriots here. Um, I have that 2470, uh, by the way, right here, right now on my FX3. And when my DP uh, and uh, business partner uh, was setting it up, we ended up zooming it in around 45 millimeter. It seemed to get the picture we wanted. And he said, do you think that looks great? And I said, looks fine. And then he reached down and he pulled up a a case full of uh, Cook Primes and he put a 45 Cook on there. And, yes, you could see the difference. So a well-done Prime like a Cook uh, will most definitely look better.
0: Sharp. All right, Alex. Alex.
4: Yeah, I, I think that it depends on where you are in the lens, where you are in the f-stop. So, the, you know, your zoom lenses are going to be at 5.6. Your zoom lens is going to typically, not always, but typically 5.6 on a lens is going to be the sharpest point that the lens has. And then in the middle of its zoom range is going to be the sharpest point of that zoom. So the the issue that you get into is that if you're at 5.6 in the middle of the lens, competing with two Sony lenses, a a, a, a prime versus a Um, and, and I have a tendency when, okay, I'm going to show a little bit of snobbery. If the lens is under five, five grand, I think of it as a fixed lens, not really a prime. Like, you know, like it's, I mean, we can call it a prime lens, but it's not when we talk about prime lenses and we're talking about super speeds and we're talking about like a lot of other things, there's an entirely, that's an entirely different world. And those lenses are five ten. 15, 20, $40,000 each. And there is a difference when you pay for that. You know, like it, now, will you see it at 1080p for Zoom? No. Uh, will you see it at 4K? Yeah. Yeah, you'll see it at 4K, and so so you have to think about what you know what resolution you're shooting at, and whether it's going to resolve back to that, and whether it's worth doing. Um, but but it but I will say that the when you put these high end prime lenses on, now the other side of that is if you put a high end zoom lens. We use Ashenue lenses for a lot of interviews because they are sixty thousand dollar lenses, and I can zoom back and forth. I I stay away from the very ends, um, but I can zoom back and forth, and I get an incredible image that is good enough for what I'm doing most of the time. Um, But if I want the absolute most, you know, tack sharp, um, I'm going to use a, you know, high end prime and we don't buy the primes, you know, these lenses last forever. I mean, I, I put lenses on that. Have been there since the 70s. I mean, so we use uh, K35s for, because of the, the way they manage light, so they bloom really beautifully. <laughs> you know, and so we, so we, um, uh, we use K35s for those kinds of things. We use, but a lot of these lenses are 40, 50 years old, and they're still working just fine if they were taken care of. Um, so, so I think that um, you rent those lenses as you need them. I think that what M- Mitchell talked about was kind of the way we approach things a lot: is throw a zoom lens on, figure out the focal length, and then throw the throw a. A prime on, rather than swapping the primes out all the time, um, you know. So that that's a pretty common thing for us to do. But but I would say that there's a difference. But I don't know. It just really depends on what you're using them for. Um, yeah, again, at 1080p, I don't think any of this makes a difference. <laughs> I think that I couldn't tell the difference between the G Master and the much cheaper, you know, Sony lens. Sony lens when I when I swapped it out. I mean. Over Zoom, I was like, it all kind of looks the same, um, but but once you go into the higher resolutions, it, it 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 will matter, and especially again when you zoom all the way in or zoom all the way out. So if if at 24 to 70, you do not want to use the 24 of the 24 to 70 instead of a prime lens at 24. You know, like that's going to be a huge difference, I think. Um, in the middle, it's a little bit more, and especially if you're comparing it to again the Sony fixed lens or prime lens. Um, then, then it's uh, – you know you you're not going to see as much difference. But if you put a real prime lens on there, um, you will definitely see the difference in my opinion.
0: All right. Guy?
5: Yeah. In the stills market, I think you'd, you'd be more apt to see the difference. Uh, they have something called the DxO score where if you go on uh, some of these lens test sites, you can actually see the score of sharpness. And where that matters is if you're printing something and you're making it billboard size. For a long time, the holy trinity, they call it, was the 16 to 35, the 24 to 70, and the 70 to 200. So you wanted all those. And then if you're a portrait photographer, you wanted an 85 prime um, seeing that sharpness I mean I, I'm in love with that sharpness I mean it's one of those things where you go into a local photography store and you the best thing to do is just try out a variety of lenses and see what they look like for what you want to do I would probably I get way more use out of the 24 to 70 if I was to have a choice between having a 1-4 lens it's a 35 then it's just moving with your feet you know your, your feet or your zoom uh, the lens that I used in mad in the kitchen was this lens here which is the um, uh, 20 to 120 fujinon this is what they call a par focal lens so all the way through that zoom lane you you can you can zoom in all the way at the far end and then all the way back out, and you'll be able to maintain that focus all the way through that 's called a par focal lens, so these photography lenses they don 't do that so this lens is about a ten thousand dollar lens and you rent it and then if you want to add the servo to it that 's another couple grand and this appeal lens I adapted mine to EF so that with the do close adapter' it's like six hundred bucks and then you could we used it on the um, pocket 6k for that show it 's just a Beautiful lens. I mean, I, I miss it. I want, you know, it's like some people want like nice cars. I like I want that lens again. That's <laughs> one of those things where you get addicted to this stuff. But this stuff you could rent too. It's it's not it's not out of control um, for the right shoots. I mean, if you're doing just a couple a year, just rent the lens. All right, Mitch.
1: Yeah, plus one on the rental because uh, again, that uh, that set of primes that my uh, buddy pulled out the cook. Uh, it was. I asked him, how much are those worth? And he said, oh, that's about a quarter million dollars' worth of lenses in one box. So that's not really practical. Um, Pricing-wise, uh, the GM series from Sony is the top-of-the-line Sonys. Um, there's a, not a huge difference between a G or a non-G uh, lens. And the other thing to consider is a Sigma because the Sigmas are uh, pretty much the same quality. Um, not quite the, the quickness of the autofocus that the Sony's have, but they're about a third the price. So, uh, just when you're making your decision out there, what you want to buy. I say the twenty four seventy two point eight 2.8 um, makes a lot of sense. Here it is. Uh, it's got a decent bokeh on it, and um, it's about two grand.
0: Courtney, you had something to throw in? Yeah,
3: I was just going to say we've got a little time here. Uh, the, um, I have a bone to pick, sorry, that's really what it is, is the guys, were work with a lot of cinematographers, big name cinematographers, and of course they always love the the super sharp primes, uh, the cook lenses, you know, and, and the uh, ultra fast, and then they get on the set and they'll show up with uh, uh, a big camera on sticks with a set of primes, and a, there's a teleprompter on it all day. Well, first of all, the teleprompters, you're shooting through a piece of coated 45 degree glass. That kind of takes the sharpness off the edge. And second of all, every time you want to change the composition on the shot, you've got to either take the teleprompter off the front and change lenses or move the whole 70-pound mess up and down on the sticks. So if you don't have a dolly, your, your prime lenses can uh, get you in trouble because you're going to have to be constantly moving the whole camera rig to change your, the size of your frame. So take that into consideration it can cost you a lot more to use the primes and also when you get on the set there's a lot of actresses who don't want that tack sharp sharp focus you put the D1 the D2 diffusion you know tough you know the you put the the pro mist in front of the lens anyway so what's the point of having the world's sharpest sharpest lens if your talent insists on diffusion you know so all bear right all alex oh, sorry
4: yeah the the um uh to point out what courtney said i had a i had a client we we pulled out a teleprompter this is years and years ago and we pulled out a teleprompter that hadn't been used for a while and just you know put it into place it was it was asked for at the last minute and we, we threw it into place and um and it just hadn't been the, that inside of that glass hadn't been cleaned very well and it was just dusty and you know we shot we shot a day with that dust and um and so the client was like, I really love what you did to that- you know that that feel like, how did you get that feel? Like, what is the filter? And I was like, you know, we just do a lot of work. on, it. <laughs> like You know, it sometimes just things. It's a turn dreamy out. dust on the back. Of the <laughs> it was like <laughs> it had this kind of it had this warm feel to it. It actually looked really nice. And I was just but it was going through, you know, a dusty. Um, so at the end of the day, you were like, don't touch the dust. Well no, Don't it was not it was it was it was long in post that they noticed that the, that it was like different than the other ones because the, after that day, I opened it up, I was like, "Oh no, and I – of course then all the other ones were cleaned, which they didn't like as much. They were like, "I want you to make them them all look like that and I was like I, we'll, we'll do what we can you know that was kind of a day that we had a we had just the right light and everything else, but we'll see what we can do and so we had to actually degrade the other interviews to look like the one that was shot through dust in a teleprompter, yeah.
0: Anyway, it's, you you know, know it (laughs) it doesn't really impact the image quality at all. But I remember, you know, I was in shooting a student film in Florence and uh, I was used to shooting with still lenses on my Canon camera. And then all of a sudden we had a C500 that had, uh, I think, some Zeiss compact primes. But I picked it up and I was like, oh, oh, this is a lens. This feels good. (laughs)
4: Not <laughs> it 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 is I mean I will say that you when you pay for, when you do a lens that that is really really high quality like one of the highest quality zoom lenses is the Canon fifty or one of the most expensive more expensive ones is the Canon fifty to one thousand and there's only one I mean for a PL lens or for a you know for that that is the biggest lens you can get and it was funny I was at NAB and there was this this uh, woman there that from Japan that was uh, you know and and I said yeah who. You know, she. I said, uh, "So, how many of these do you build?" "Oh, a couple a year." You know, like, like literally, it was a few a year. And I was like, "And who does it?" She, goes, you know, I build the lens, <laughs> like, like that. that and, then, and like, and I and I asked someone later uh, from you know from Canon. I was like, "What happens if she stops building the lens?" He goes, "We stop making the lens." Like if she if she if she stops when she stops, so like, we're not going to keep making that lens. You know, and and it was just that she knows how to put the whole thing together. There's a whole factory behind her giving her the pieces, but she's the one that assembles them all, you know, and, and, it, and it was just it's such a very odd, very refined process for these really high-end lenses to get them just right. You know, they, when you deal with um, the lenses, you have this collimation, what they call, you know, re, and you have, sometimes you have to recollimate the lens. And, you know, it's a th- – once you get into these twenty thirty dollars $30,000 lenses, it's a different world. And so when you pick it up, you'll feel it. And when you're using them, you'll feel it unless they've been used in the desert and then you won't feel it or you'll feel something else. And so but, – uh, but outside of that, it's, it's an amazing – lenses are – I mean we should, we should probably do another second hour because lenses are just an amazing thing. Go ahead, Mitch. Yeah, the
1: mathematics and the uh, the ability to grind that glass to do what it does is a fascinating uh, discussion. It, and even the coatings that they put on the uh, lenses is a lost it, art. I have a similar story that uh, Alex told with uh, the Cook people is that uh, a friend of mine was in their, their, I guess, their factory in the U.K. or whatever. And um, they had like shells and shells and shells of lenses that uh, were made 20, 30, 40 years ago. And they're just as good as the brand new ones. That's because physics doesn't change. Yeah,
4: you know, the the only thing I was going to say, the last thing, uh, is that um, when they when the lenses don't turn out, they melt them down. Um, you know, they they melt the the glass back down. And I'm gonna I'm quickly trying to. I just popped into my head, but I'm uh, they there is a um, I was in a I was in a, uh, I was in India in a um, uh, a nice restaurant. Oh, here it is. So this. Oh, I have no way to get that
6: there. Uh, see, hold on. I don't know if I can. Over to your left is an eight by eight matrix switcher. No, it's it's more complicated than that. Let's see if this works. <laughs> Oops, that's the wrong one. Um,
4: there's a. I don't know. I can't get to it right now. Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. I got it. Oh, hold on. There we go. So that that this was in Dharm, uh, in New Delhi. Uh, in a, in a, that all the glass that's used for that is from old Fujinon lenses, <laughs> so that's the, they they melted down the glass and they made that. I was like, that is the most amazing. And they were like, yeah, it better be. It was, it's like it's, it's like millions of dollars of lenses that are all uh, melted to, to make that happen.
0: Anyway, there you go. i really a, like a to go to a day. dinner that's just you know lens makers and watchmakers. Yeah, like yeah, ten exactly. of them just go at it. A <laughs> guy, you had something.
5: Yeah, I just wanted to show you guys, for, somebody put gear acquisition sy- syndrome in the chat, so I wanted to show you uh, our local rental house had an uh, opportunity for the folks to come in and uh, try out a variety of cameras, ac C500, FX9, uh, Z Cam, I don't remember which model, Area Alexa, but then this is... Uh, <laughs> This was all the lenses that, that he broke out, and so I took my iPhone out and just started walking down all the lens lines to so talk about gear acquisition syndrome. You'll see the lineup here as we get past. These are some Angenews, uh, some um, Arri Prime, some Fujinans, Those are the um, Promista eighty-five to two hundred and fifty. Then here was our lineup of cameras. We had the Red Gemini FX six C five hundred. There's a twenty to one hundred Promista. Uh yeah, this is uh and then some anamorphics and a friend of mine. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so pay attention when your local rental houses have these open houses because some of them can be pretty enlightening and you get to meet other people in the community. But yeah, that that day I was just like shocked as to how, how much was sitting on one cart. When the guy started pushing the cart, I'm like, let's just walk over what we need because that'll be when that cart be pushed. That's like a million plus that could fall over. So scary stuff. All right, next question.
1: And it's from Douglas Carmichael asking, what monitoring tools do you
4: prefer for monitoring your home or studio networks? Uh, go ahead, Alex. Uh, for the most part, we're using the Meraki tools. We have a Meraki um, pipeline for w- within within our system, and we use those tools to understand what's going on in the network. Um, I know that other folks that I work with, you know, do use SolarWinds um, to do that. It's Fallen a bit back. People don't use it as much because of the hacking that happened um, a couple of years ago. Uh, but it's still one of the more popular ones for doing more in, uh, you know, at home. I use speedtest.net. <laughs> like I don't, I don't really need the same level of of
0: uh, control at home.
5: Go ahead, guy. Yeah, I'm a total maniac. So uh, I'm just learning, though. So here's the maniac part. this This is my home <laughs> network. So this is the ultimate Dream mach- uh, Machine Pro. So you can see here that you've got uh, traffic identification, you've got Wi-Fi. The neat thing is that you could go in here into the topology, and you could see the different. Uh, so I have the internet coming in. Uh, I could actually look at the flow of the internet uh, uh, across the Wi-Fi access points. I got a couple switches here. This is a port, a port. A port uh, that's a 48 port and you can see where the internet traffic's going to and it doesn't show my other uh, switches which are my, my uh, uh, what do you call them uh, uh, da, 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 da. I'm staring right at one, Netgear uh, M4250s. But the neat thing is that if you click on one of these devices, like let's say this one, I could go in here and I could see like there's a Blackmagic ATEM on that port. I could see there's a ZCAM on that port. And I could actually click on those and I can get more information, MAC address, IP address, OS. Uh, I could gain further insights. Uh, there's, there's just, it's amazing the amount of detail that you can dig into uh, with the Unify. Uh, you can go in there and look at all the different clients. You could look at what each port's doing. You can see which ones have P- POE, which ones have SFPs. Um, yeah, this stuff just gets deep. You could change the channels on uh, your Wi-Fi, uh, look at uh, all the different traffic. I mean, it, it's it's deep. So depending on how deep you want to go, that's a Unify um Uh, ultimate dream machine for I think they're like 400 bucks but I bought one just to learn because we had one at the office and I wanted to know what was going on just again enough to be be dangerous so uh, that's what that looks like
0: thanks All right, Chris can't hear you there you go
6: Chris Uh, the monitoring tools So, CJ and I, we were trying to figure out a problem the other night. Why did my camera go so dark all of a sudden? I apologize. And you turned me on to the, um, what is the thing called, Network Logger Pro. Was it you who told me to get that? Not me. All right. So, it's, um, I'll show you it's it's a bunch of information and i it and it didn't help me solve anything but what i wanted to say about the the network thing is and this is just um troubleshooting in general my zoom was crashing all the time like a couple of days ago i ended up bailing out of the show and i just assumed it was uh i didn't i didn't know what it was and CG and I were like, "Well, because he was having trouble with um, sound desk. And he was, "I think sound desk is making my system die." And so we did a whole bunch of stuff. And as it turned out, through using this thing, I saw that it was just it was just Comcast. Comcast we had a bad day, just a bad day. And for about 24 hours, it was just in and out, in and out in and out. And uh, using this Network Logger Pro, which basically just shows uh, data in and out, and then it all, but it does it over time. So you can see, like, oh, yeah, right there, that's where it crashed. Right there, that's where it crashed. That, that's what I was using. I don't know if it helped at all.
0: And if it's not so much just for traffic, but you're just trying to understand what are all, what are all the devices and what's plugged in where and what are my IP and MAC addresses, there's a great MAC app called uh, Landscan, it's free. It has a little duck as the logo. Yeah. And it's nice because all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, that's a lot of clients. Uh, anyway, next question.
1: Next one in from Scott Hancock in Tokyo, Japan. Is there any experience yet with Teams Town Hall that replaced live events? Some of us have no
2: choice.
0: Go ahead, Nigel.
2: Well, I don't know. We've, we've never done an event with it, but we try to use it. So, um, you know, we do a town hall with our, our team uh, once a quarter. and Typically I've been bringing them uh, the speakers into eCam because I play videos and other things, and then driving that through a virtual camera into Teams, then people just sign on to Teams, which is a really poor experience because people never mute. So we like the idea of town hall because then everyone could come in, it's muted, et cetera, et cetera. And we found it a very difficult interface to use. And uh, I think that if you're technically fairly competent, it probably feels like something from about five years ago, but but it, it it's quite a hard product to use, and if you don't have a technical person, which I didn't, who would have to run it because I couldn't run it like I can run Ecamm and do the do the show at the same time, uh, it's it's still not a great solution. Go ahead, Alex. Nigel, what resolution is it running at? Uh, I think it was seven twenty. Okay. So, uh, which is fine because I normally use Teams. So I didn't. But <laughs> but it's it's um it's so far away from this experience. It's it's, to, it's probably much closer to the thing we do on Sunday, um, and what that feels like. But it's very very basic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, that. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Go ahead CJ. I was just going to say, I definitely uh, sympathize with having to use Teams, and uh, in the on the theme of knowing where you sit on the food chain, uh, if you are in a Teams environment, just nudge people into say, hey, this is going to be better. I'd like to use this. Let's go to Zoom.
4: Yeah. And and I will say that that Chris will tell you, my tendency is, is kind of a constant but low level attack. You know, just like, you know, oh, we're only having, we only have 720p. Uh, you know, we can only do 720p. Nah, it's a little twinkie. It's not, it's not nothing like Zoom, but, you know, it, instead of trying to ma- move it, you just slowly poison it. <laughs> like, you just slow, until it just dies on the, ra- or, you know, you just, you get to a point where, you know, but that's, that's how I move things along. <laughs> Sometimes it's just kind of just slowly, just, just it's it's not the, I think people make the mistake of the full, the full attack, you know, like doing it, but, but oftentimes guerrilla warfare is more effective. And so it's just like this little, like, just little, just little cuts, that are not that are mentioned in kind of like as an aside. Well, I mean it's not going to be Zoom. Like you know like but it's going to be, you know, but we're going to but you know, we'll we'll make it do the best we can. <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Um, and and laugh about it and walk away, but that then then you let that that sink in for a year or two years. You know like it, it you know, but I think a lot of people, you know, because what'll happen is is when when you get to a point where everybody in the company is apologetic that they're using Teams, um, then you get to a point where they they start thinking that maybe they should at least use something else for their events. You know, like, you know, and that's the, but that's the, that's kind of the slow drip that that is usually more effective than, than trying to persuade people to do something. So where they're standing untenable.
6: (laughs) Yeah, uh, what I'm, what I'm seeing right now, and I've said this before, is that the battle between Teams and Zoom is very, and Courtney, you can turn your volume down for a second, is very similar to the battle between Mac and Windows in the 90s. It didn't matter if one was better. What mattered more was that the people making the decision have been told that this is the way it's going to be. And that's a tough battle. That's a really tough battle to win because the IT people are being courted by Microsoft and they're going to push people into teams. It is an ecosystem. It's part of their thing. Maybe it's a monopoly, whatever you want to call it, but they're going to use teams and, and I believe that zoom has a real uphill battle in some instances. If you just want to look at the technology, if you just want to look at the feature set, if you just want to look at the video quality, that's simple. But the people making these decisions, they don't care about those things. They really don't care. What they care about is nobody got fired for using Microsoft and it's all, it, we already have it. So this decision is done. Let's move on. Let's solve the next problem.
0: It's a crisis point, and oftentimes companies are already paying for Teams. So it's tough to say, well, I know you already pay for something, but pay a little bit more. And then it's like, well, what am I getting for that extra? I already have something.
7: The- oh, go ahead, Ronnie uh we have a few clients um that uh, are in in kind of the same uh, scenario uh and what we have uh i, I, I followed the the suggestions from uh, from several people also you alex uh try to show them the the light that uh shines so bright from uh, from zoom and what we do is to have both they can Uh, have their employees using Teams, but we also offer the high-quality Zoom, uh, and we see more and more people are going uh, towards the Zoom uh, login instead of using uh, the company's own Teams. So that's one way to do it.
2: Nigel? Uh, I would tell you two things, first of all, in my situation, the person I have to convince is me, so that's a whole different problem. Uh, But but there are two things that that we're not going to like, but are true about the Microsoft Teams situation is the people who uh, like me who run businesses who have to have office for various reasons are not interested in paying for a second thing that does the same thing and and it's and it's not about quality it's just about cost and complexity the second thing is the way to bring zoom into a company i think is through zoom phone So what I'm actually doing is shifting the company away from giving everybody a mobile phone service that uh, we pay for, to saying, bring your own device, we'll pay you an amount towards the fee, and we'll give you a Zoom phone number. And that is the way Zoom is becoming much more attractive to people in large companies, because we're all trying to create virtual phone networks. I think it's a real uphill struggle when a majority of the business is transacted across a Microsoft Set of tools to say, then there's this one-off situation where you need to go outside it. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, the, the
4: last thing I'll say is that one thing that I that I uh, um that I do pretty often is I'm pretty aggressive about doing the meetings, like set the meetings up because then I send a Zoom link out because then I force people who use Microsoft Teams to see Zoom all the time. You know, just just to see, like, and I don't say anything; it's just that they have to be in the environment that, and they'll notice the difference over time um and it it the problem really is when you talk about doing events is in my opinion um and this is not just zoom versus teams you know, life is a confidence game you know, and people having confidence in their leadership makes a difference. And if I'm in a leadership position, I want to have every possible advantage I possibly can. Like if, if it, if, if, I, if all I got to do is pay a little bit more so that I have, that I'm a little bit sharper and I have a little bit better setup, I'll do it because those are the easy things to do as opposed to, you know, like when people, I don't, I think this is why, this is one of the big reasons that the press is having trouble. I think this is a big problem that why it's one of the many reasons that we don't, um, trust our, our leadership in our country is because they spent a couple of years coming in over webcams, you know, and it's really hard to take them seriously. And I don't think this is just a platform problem, I think this is, I mean, we've talked about this over and over again, but this is a fundamental like not understanding what's important problem, you know, like of, of understanding that that how it looks matters. You know, we, we, we talk about that all the time, like that you can say whatever you want to say and be as smart as you want to be, but the smart people are not the people who run the things. It's the people who figure out how to package it. Um, um, are the people who run the thing, you know, and so the so the packaging is really important. And I think I think the the hard part for Zoom is right now they spend a lot of time worrying about trying to do everything Microsoft did. Apple did that in the '90s and it almost killed them. Like it, you know, like you know, like it was they were trying to build every Microsoft solution that you could possibly have. We couldn't un- like like with Microsoft we couldn't understand what computer to buy and what this one did versus that one because Apple was trying to out Microsoft Microsoft. Sometimes I worry that Zoom is going down that path where what Nigel underlined is that it's a great, that, you know, working on the transports, on the thing that Zoom is really good good at, which is, you know, whether it's audio or video transports, that's what it outdoes Microsoft in. Uh, I think that the chances of moving someone like Nigel, like if, if Zoom even had everything that Microsoft Teams has, I don't, M- Nigel can correct me, but I don't know if Nigel would move. Like it's, it's too, there's there's too much history. Like you're not going to move those companies over <laughs> to, to,
2: to what you're doing. Yeah, I, the thing I'd add to that is I have, Five problems on my mind at the moment. Fixing this one isn't one of those problems. There are so many other things in the company to work on. Fixing what isn't broken is for most of us is one. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Just a quick reminder, uh, this show runs on your questions. We've got a couple in there, but we've got two full hours of Q&A today, so plenty of room. Submit them into Makana or using askofficehours.global or right here at the QR code. Uh, Love it can't say enough about it. If you're in Makana, vote the questions up and down. Depending on your interest, we'll build the show around it. Uh, So thank you very much for that. Uh, Why don't we go ahead? Next question.
1: Another question coming in over the beautiful, clean Zoom network. Uh, this one from Ronnie Hofsey from Tromso, Norway, here on our panel. Uh, going out of an ATEM to one or more computers, what budget HDMI-SDI input devices should I get to preserve audio and video quality into my software encoders, except for deck cards and sonic cabinets, since ATEM USB encoding is crushing blacks, PC or Mac? Go ahead, Courtney.
3: Well, there's a wide variety you can choose from that are going to be uh, uh, converters from HDMI. I'm, I'm I'm assuming you're going from HDMI to USB uh, to come in as a webcam type signal. And, you know, the Elgato Cam Link <clears throat> has been used by a number of people. It's about 99 bucks. Um, it's debatable about whether these even cheaper ones, here's one for $17.99 uh, that has the same <laughs> It says 4K HDMI video capture card, but of course, it'll take the 4K signal and down convert it to 1080p uh, 30 or 60, uh, and it, it has a USB 3 on the end of it, but I don't think it actually comes in. Uh, it'll work with USB 2 uh, type signal level because all the webcams come in at USB 2 signal level. They don't, they're compressed H.264, so I don't think that'll be a problem. Uh, whether there's a difference between those two, uh, debatable. Uh, Doug Johnson did a test, I remember, and he has a video up on uh, on uh, YouTube. I tested a lot of these cheap capture devices uh, and more expensive capture devices and compared them all in quality and signal in and out. And he made a great big spreadsheet of that. So look that up on YouTube, Doug Johnson Enterprises, and,
4: and uh, check out his analysis of all the cheap uh, converters out there. Alex, and it just depends on what you're doing with them as well. Um, so the Ultra Studio Mini is 125 dollars and it does not have the crush blacks. The only place we see crush blacks is where where ATEM is converting from a um, is converting to H.264. So you know that's where we see it. We think that it's in the chip that that, that they're using for that. Um, but if you take a, an Ultra Studio recorder and plug it in, it you're going to get. Everything exactly the way you would expect it to come in at $125. Um, I will say that the uh, Elgato stuff, we've had a lot of overheating problems. Um, so that, that is a um, – so they, they, they run for about an hour and a half and then they turn off. Like they just, and they don't, there's no warning, there's nothing, they just stop working, you know, and then you plug them back in, they'll work for another 10 minutes and then they'll turn off again. So we think it's an overheating problem that we've had with the Elgato. I think it's the 4K or whatever, but we've had it both with us and with a handful of other creators to a point where we, if someone says they have one, we tell them that we'll send them something else. Like we're not, we don't need them to use that um, in the pipeline, not for a live event. For short events and for other things, I think they're fine. They, they're they compact and they're inexpensive. Um, Under $150, I would generally recommend against using H-264. I mean, we use h 2 I'm using it right now, but I built a LUT to manage the, the, you know, the ATEM issue. It's convenient with the ATEM, so I use it. But if you can, always get something that's going to bring it back in as a more – as closer to the baseband signal, like, an, you know, that's going to bring it back into that and let your software on your, on your computer make the conversion rather than uh, – because you know, you're, otherwise you're, you're basically double compressing it, you know. And so I do it here at a convenience, but when I'm doing a real project, we tend to not do that.
5: Uh, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I like the AJU taps. Uh, those have been rock solid. Uh, the other one that uh, Andy Koch and Durfer has been doing some tests, and I ran some tests as well with about eight different ones, and this one called the Roland UVCO2. I, I know Nigel's using one as well. Uh, it came out the cleanest as far as color, so I like that device because it, it is a device that if you look at the uh, specs in here, that it can do uncompressed uh, YUY2 uh, in addition to Motion JPEGs. so I take a look at that device.
0: Mitchell?
1: And the dogs like it. Um, I remember when you had that uh, UVC2 on scopes, uh, Guy, and uh, it was showing nice numbers. So uh, it's less expensive and it doesn't crush blacks. Good job.
0: And Nigel?
2: It's great, but it's not the same as an A10. Okay? It does different things. This is – I love this. thing. When I go mobile, this is what I use. It turns, you know, my hotel or property into a nice little production environment but my ATEM does so much more in terms of the the number of inputs and and all the other stuff I can do so you know there's no perfect solution at the price point that covers this you know if you want a perfect solution you spend a lot more money you're going to have to compromise somewhere
0: the other thing I'll throw in about the uh, about the black magic compression uh, it also has a little bit of loss in quality at the uh, extreme high end as well I discovered this because I was trying to share a spreadsheet of all things and you couldn't see the grid lines. And then that actually inspired me to uh, go ahead and invest in one of those cam links, which is what I've been using uh, almost consistently for two months, knock wood, without an overheating issue. Uh, They do come with a little USB extender uh, to remove it from your computer that might get some of that heat dissipated. Go ahead, Alex.
4: Yeah, um and if you're doing a screen into it, just note that you can set up a I mean one thing to think about is you run the screen and you actually um do a, a build a color profile for your computer for it. So what I've done is I ran um I ran my screen through the ATEM and then used uh one of the spiders, this this guy here. Used the spider on that screen on what went through. Through the ATEM and then did the conversion, and that will, what that'll do is it'll it'll get the colors better. Um, the problem is right now I've changed a bunch of screens and so I have to go back into it again. But um, but the but it'll it'll basically correct the output of the computer um, for the what the ATEM is doing, um, and so that you tend not to get those blown out whites and so on and so forth because it's it's now interacting properly with what it's doing as opposed to another monitor that it might have been connected to before
0: next question.
1: Chris Fenwick from Half Moon Bay, California asked, did a recording in the forbidden acquisition system yesterday and they may have changed their ways? Does Alex want to take credit for this behavior change?
6: (laughs) Go ahead, Chris. So I'm talking about, of course, Riverside and Alex, I was uh, doing a recording and I always hear your voice. Never, ever, I will never, I will never, ever, (laughs) ever, 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 ever. I'm (laughs) hearing it the whole time.
4: I, I I stepped away from the normal, like I said, oh, just slowly poison something. My attacks on Riverside for the last, know, after that so, event had been withering both directly to them and to, and on, and on social and everywhere else. Like just a withering attack. I was
6: so angry. It was such a, it was such okay. an angry moment. Yeah, we got it. We, you hate it. So here's the deal. Uh, we're doing the thing and uh, the client chimes in and she says, during before we started, she goes, "Is there enough headroom?" She didn't say headroom. Is is her head too close to the top? And in my mind, I'm thinking, "No, of course not." You know, there's there's a ten percent buffer or whatever. It's going to be fine. You know, there's more there. It was right on the edge, and I got to say, I got the recording back, and it wasn't right on the edge. You know, I, I didn't, she was right on the edge. And it was, it was, so like looking at my frame here, it was like maybe here. I would have rather had it been about like, right. you know, here maybe. Right. And I'm, I'm hope I don't get any kickback around. You said it was going to be okay. Um, but it was exactly the framing I was looking at in, huh. in the monitoring, uh, which I found very interesting. I haven't done any tests. I, I'm, I'll probably do some tests today, possibly on well, Saturday, uh, but do you want to take credit for that? No, I, I probably had nothing to do with it.
4: <laughs> I, was pro- I was probably one of many, of uh, many people. I think who your said,
6: name comes up at every one of their staff meetings. Hey, look, what are we going to do about this Alex <laughs> and Lindsay thing? We, we, I I, I, so. I, we should address this. <laughs> I don't even know who I am, even though I. <laughs> so, but I won't. There's a picture in the lobby. Don't let this guy in the building. Yeah. he's, he's we, mad. You think he's dangerous? He's so mad. <laughs>
4: I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that they're moving the right direction. If, if they've really gotten rid of that, then then I I, I might come around. So the never might I will be shorter. Back it back might after I be doing some tests. Yeah, there we let it let us know. You know what I do? I have to screen test. I have to test um, aspect ratios a lot, and I build grids. You know, for that. So rather than looking at it, um, I build a I build a grid because what happens is I project things onto big you know very large screens and I, and there's like many versions of those screens and I want to know what's being clipped if anything's being clipped or over you know overscanned or whatever on, on those screens. And so what we do is we build um I build I have two circles you know usually on either side. The reason you put circles in there is cuz it's really easy to see if they've been stretched. You know like so if it, so you can see that are they proper so if any has anything been been bent out. And then the other thing that I do is then I build a grid and I give those grids um numbers you know, across it, and usually they're really simple, like, you know, 1 through 10 across and A through F down or, or whatever that is, and so you just see those. And I have a big grid, and then I usually break that grid up real subtly with, like, subdivided by 10, you know, but I know what those pixels are, how many pixels each box matter, you know, how many pixels are there. And by doing that, I can figure out, oh, I'm losing 10 pixels across the top and 15 pixels across the bottom, and I do that a lot, and so anyway, it's, it's worth it.
0: All right, next question. Nerd. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. What? <laughs> Precision. Uh Coming from
1: Douglas Carmichael, a recent study proved that Zoom fatigue is a physiologically backed phenomenon that affects heart rate and brain function. Could high-quality audio video
4: mitigate these issues? Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, these... Studies have been coming out for quite some time. I mean, the problem is, is that they're usually done by yahoos who you know who call, who have a degree, um, who have an, have a high degree that that don't really you know aren't really in the middle of it, and they have some opinion about it, and then they then they prove that opinion. You know that that's there. Um, I've already written articles kind of <laughs> talking about this, uh, but but I will say that um, we find that Zoom fatigue is directly related to audio and video quality. I mean, when we look at this show, which we're on for hours a day, and, and I'm on other meetings for hours a day, there's not as the, – the fatigue of Zoom is listening to people with horrible sound and then looking at them all kind of coming in and out of what they're doing. Um, it is a uh, – it's really a painful process. Now I will say, if someone's only talking, if we're only gonna sit around and talk, um, there are times when I go, hey, is this this a talking meeting? Because if it's a talking meeting, why don't we do it over the phone? So I'm kind of like, I like to walk around. So I will say that I like to walk around, especially when I'm spending six to eight hours a day on Zoom. Um, And so the, um, but I, you know, it, it has nothing to do with the quality of Zoom. It has to do with me just wanting to get, stretch my legs. Um, you know, in that process and so but I but I will say that um, I find that when the audio and quality is at the level that we see here in the show, I would much rather be in a zoom meeting than in a conference room by like a long shot, you know, and, and it's not, like not even close and it, and it doesn't have anything to do with the time that wasted going across campus or driving in or anything else. I just would rather, you know, and I have access to tools and I can talk to things and I can, go, you know, it's, it's much more comfortable. So, so I think that, but, but I think that that's what they're not measuring when they say, oh, well, being in Zoom is really problematic. They're not taking it into it, you know, they're not measuring all the things that are related, you know, to that. They're measuring an average person opening up their laptop and talking into, a, into Zoom, not, not companies actually investing in people looking and sounding reasonably
2: good. All right, Nigel. I think alex just instilled into this uh, piece of work a level of uh, detail and depth that they didn't instill in it to themselves i whenever i I see studies like this I go search for what I would call n what is the sample size of this massive study I believe n in this case was 35. So I think we're willing to accept that uh, anything less than 100 is not statistically significant. And anything around 30, the standard deviation of error in their study is bigger than the sample size. So I I generally wouldn't pay any attention to this. There are two issues that spin out of this. One is I, I have this horrible fear that this sort of pop nonsense, which is good for getting headlines, is really bad for science, and I wish scientists would stand up and count against it. But the other side of this is it's always about the quality of the content. If you make the content interesting, people will be engaged. If you make the content boring and make it difficult to watch, it will be unengaged. Courtney? Yeah, it depends
3: on also what type of fatigue. There's eye fatigue from... St- staying at the same distance from a screen and staring at that screen for long periods of time, you can get the same amount of fatigue reading a book, you know, so it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Zoom. Uh, Whether you're, uh, you know, engaged in the story, when you're reading a book, you're translating everything you hear into images of your own. And so you're you're utilizing a little more of your brain. Zoom, you're just kind of trying to listen to what people are saying and maybe speak uh, to other what other people are saying. So it's keeping you engaged mentally a little bit, but maybe not near as much as if you're reading a book. So that kind of fatigue can set in. Also, if you're sitting at a laptop and it's not at a good angle, you're hunched over looking at one angle, the muscles in your neck get sore after sitting still for a long period of time. So, you know, if you get up and walk around, like Alex said, uh, you know, give give your muscles a chance to relax and expand and focus on something else and move in another way. Uh, it It eliminates a lot of fatigue, but i don't think it has anything necessarily to do with zoom. They did also do some studies uh I remember Doug trumbull did on when he's coming up with his high frame rate uh, seventy millimeter projection about uh, uh, suspension of disbelief in the in the uh, for high frame rate so a high frame rate makes a difference in a fatigue uh, as well, and you start to see when once you get up to a uh, much higher frame rate. know above 60 frames per second above 120 frames per second 96 96, okay 96 then uh, then he found that uh, it looks like you're looking through a window and so your your brain doesn't interpret it as uh, you know
0: artificial at all go ahead Mitchell.
1: yeah to keep this into perspective uh, i remember when digital audio first came out there was a famous doctor who was whose name i can't pronounce uh james Tariki. Uh, that was very much against uh, digital audio, said it did things to your head, caused fatigue before they even knew there was a fatigue, used to do that test where he'd hold somebody's arm and uh, he'd press on it. If it was analog, you, re- you could resist. If it was digital, you lost your I – mean, it was some strange voodoo that was going on there. And uh, we've since forgotten that. So does that mean that the, uh, uh, the fatigue is
4: gone or are we just uh, ignored at this point? And Alex? I think fundamentally, we always need to take into account that, that, that most of these studies and many, many studies that we watch are being generated by people with very little life experience in that field um, or in that area who have a specific opinion on, and have a, and are taking a very limited number of variables and then coming up with some outlandish beliefs based on um, you know lack of real data, you know, and so, you know, I think that the real problem that our world lives in <laughs> is this idea of of kneeling down to the to theoretical data theoretical data is not is is almost worse than no data um you know you, you know it is practical data you know you know operational data is what you want to be looking at of of actual experience but but people who are spending very little time doing this and 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 then doing this theoretical data is it gives us a sense of where we might, you know, like there might we might see something out there that we might but we need to take into account anybody who has that and it, and studies are theoretical data. They are not practical data. <laughs> like, you know, so and and they can guide you, but making any kind of conclusion from theoretical data is insanity. Like, you know, so so like, you know, so when people talk about this, I mean just I listened through this of just like, Yeah, you people are crazy. You know, like, you know, and, and as someone who's been doing this for ten years, they have no idea what they're talking about. So
0: next question.
1: And it's from Matthew LeCount in uh, Oakland, must be California. Does the McConnell link change daily like the uh, YouTube or could it be bookmarked?
4: You can bookmark it. No, I'm sorry. I just jumped right out. <laughs> I forgot I forgot that I wasn't the host. You can bookmark it. Um, you can bookmark it. it is, uh, yeah, I keep it bookmarked. I keep it in my notes. That's how I find it. Uh, occasionally, it will change. Um, if we have some kind of issue with it, a, a bad actor or something, it might change. But it, it doesn't change very often because we don't usually have that.
0: All right. Next question.
1: Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana asked, what about using a non-parfocal lens with Sony mirrorless autofocus?
0: Go ahead, Alex.
4: Uh, it, it works well. I mean, you just have to remember that when you're doing production, a lot of times you can't really rely on autofocus. Autofocus works really well with what we're doing here. Um, the reason I use a Sony is because I can do this and it's going to focus and it's going to come right back to me and it's going to go faster than a human being. Um, so that is why I use a Sony for here. I don't necessarily use these Sonys when I'm doing production. I usually go back to Blackmagic cameras. I also use a lot of Aries and Venice's And so, so, you know, those are the other cameras that I use on a, on a relatively um, common basis or those three cameras, Blackmagic, a variety of Blackmagic cameras or Aerie or or Venice. Um, And none of those have... Uh, autofocus. <laughs> so, so, but, but I'm in production, and we need to be able to control that focus um, because we're trying to frame offset. We want to go in and out of someone. We, there's all these creative things that we want to do with focus that don't have to do with uh, autofocus. And so, it, it's it's sometimes it's more than just keeping it in. If you're a single shooter or a very small crew doing run and gun, the autofocus is amazing. If you are doing a larger production, you're not going to use it. So, mm-hmm. so you just have to decide, you know, why you're using it, and then that that the um, para the. Our focal uh, becomes really, really important because if you're doing zoom in and zoom out and focus and everything else um, in those larger productions, you want to keep it in, in frame. So that's where the, the zooms kind of fall apart. But, the, but if you're doing run and gun, I think that, that the Sony cameras are the best run and gun and webcams <laughs> you can get.
0: Thank you. Next question. Samuel
1: Nordvik in Norway asks, Would you consider live streaming horizontal and vertical content from the same video feed, shooting in 4K with a wide framing, or always
4: capture separate video feeds? Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, we've done that. Yeah, we've definitely um, done that. We've done it in a couple different ways. Um, So one way that we... um, one way, the, the, the most typical way to do it is center cut. So basically you're streaming a 16 by nine and you do capture at 4K and then you're just grabbing the center. Now there are some pretty cool tools. AJA used to make one, I don't think they make it anymore, where you had a joystick that you could pan and scan back and forth inside of that frame. Um, and it was pretty expensive it was like a twenty five thousand dollar so we tested it, but we never bought it but we, but it was great where you could basically stream the sixteen by nine and then you could do slow pans i mean it, it had the ease in and ease out, so you could slowly pan with it and you 're like a camera operator inside of a sixteen by nine moving around and it was an amazing experience that i just couldn 't sell clients on and i didn 't and, and didn't end up buying it but it was it, it was kind of an amazing way to go to sixteen by nine live um, and then you output both of those out. Um, Now, in our case, I think we actually ended up doing a 16 by 9 window that we moved back and forth. Um, The hard part is, again, the encoding. You really have to deliver that as a 16 by 9 image. So what we had to do back then, because the encoders wouldn't handle that, is we had to deliver a center cut of the 9 by 16. So we're panning and scanning and then putting it back you know, delivering it as a nine by six, matting it so that it's nine by 16 and then delivering to the encoder and then telling the encoder just to go in and do the center cut because it, it couldn't, you know, move around in, in, in that area. But it was, um, that's the best way to do it if you can. And I'll try to find the name of that. that that hardware. It was hardware. It was like a COVID something. Um, it was a, it was a crazy, it was a piece of hardware that they had for a while with a, with a joystick that was really, really great. Um, but uh and, and there, it, the the cheaper version of that is their region of interest you know tool, which is much less expensive it 's like a thousand dollars, but it just didn 't have the hardware. The hardware was necessary to do the pan and scan um, you can 't do it with software and have it
7: feel good all right, Ronnie. Well, we have a few of these uh, situations. I would actually recommend doing uh, a separate feed because the, the audience is different. They are probably watching this on, uh, on their phones or, or similar uh, units. And um, you need to have another kind oh, of...
4: And, and I want to agree with Ronnie there. These are two separate streams. Like we were having, you know, one was a 16 by 9 stream that people could watch, and the other one was a 9 by 16 to a different platform.
7: Yeah, and and, and because of that, the audience is kind of in another another, uh, type of audience and you need to cut a little bit different sometimes. Uh, What we have done uh, a few times is to have uh, dual cameras. So on the same uh, or on the main camera, which is 16 by 9, uh, we just uh, put a camera on top of that, uh, which is uh, vertical uh, so that you can have a a reduced personnel. But, uh, you know... uh, it's, diff- it's different uh, audience and uh, I think you should uh, cut it differently as well.
0: All right. Alex?
4: It was the AJA uh, True Zoom uh, is what we were using for that and that worked really well. Um, I think it's – I think there's more to it but the, the software and the joystick are now 10 grand. <laughs> so it's a lot less than what I had but we had a – there was a piece of hardware in there that we added. I don't know if it's still necessary or not.
0: Next
1: question. David Brady from New York, New York asks, Yesterday in After Hours, there was a troubleshooting session with Zoom on Apple TV and Echo. It seemed that it was related to an outboard soundbar. As soon as the audio was routed to the TV speakers, Echo went away. Is this an ARC issue?
5: Guy? This is one where it took a little bit of uh, banging back and forth to get this thing to work. I actually ran to my local Walmart and bought the same exact um, Apple TV that Steve was using just to troubleshoot this because he, he reached out in the Discord and said, "Hey, are you having this problem?" And so I had the the previous generation, and here here of Apple TV, and this is that that Apple TV, the older one. And in here, you can see that there is something uh, for echo cancellation. So I thought it was just a matter of flipping it. He might have flipped it on or off, but by default, it's already on. So we alleviated that. We we you know went turned it back on. Uh, I hooked up the new one. And I wasn't having the issue at first and then we brought him back in and we ran through the variables. David Brady was in there as well and he, somebody, I think it was him, suggested disconnecting the, his sound bar which was hooked up via ARC. And once he did that, the echo seemed to have gone away. So we don't know if that if that's what it was. It seems like that's what it was but I, I'm like 80% sure that that's what it was because mine's hooked up via an optical t- I have a soundbar as well, but it's hooked up via optical. So that was the differentiator. So uh, it is cool, though, um, being able to go in here. The other thing that we did figure out, was that you can, if you have AirPods, uh, right here where it says continuity camera microphone, uh, that'll switch over to AirPods. So I was able to walk around, you know, have my 70-inch TV, be in a Zoom meeting and talk, you know, walking through my kitchen, still listening. And if I wanted to flip on my mic, I could have that microphone, you know, right five inches from my mouth instead of, uh, you know, 10 feet. pretty cool system for 149 bucks. Uh, you can pick up I mean I just went to my local Walmart and it's it's nice that you could pick up these kind of cool toys just you know makes a great gift. So uh I I'm I'm in love with the Apple TV, the 4K with the ethernet. You got don't don't get one without the ethernet. You got to get the ethernet.
4: Oh, we can't hear you. Uh CJ.
0: Sorry, go ahead, Ronnie.
7: Um, The other day we had a situation where um, uh, we were streaming a a hybrid conference where we had uh, a few hosts uh, coming up on stage and the first host was starting to speak and... uh when the second host uh, arrived at the stage and was uh, was taking this further we had this horrible uh, slapback echo uh, coming uh, through the speakers in the room we did not hear anything on the stream uh, and we had some comments from the audience in the in the room that this was horrible and my song guy couldn't for the for the for any he, he tried to find out what it was and uh, we, of course, looped uh, the audio back from Zoom, uh, back into the to the mixer, and he was thinking that we somehow got some slapback uh, uh, in return from the Zoom call. And um, I told him, no, uh, this this can't be, I've checked it and double-checked it, and you know, you start to, to think about things that can be wrong, uh, eventually I found out, so this is kind of, You have to think uh, on a lot of different stuff when you are doing this stuff and uh, it ended up being a a reverb uh, setting on the digital mixer that someone has had to uh, be unmuted somewhere in the process. So it could be easier than uh, a technical glitch, it could be user error.
4: All right, Alex, real quick. Yeah, the the um, arc is m- very unlikely. It, it's probably the, the fact that the speakers were changing the 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 delay. If you add any kind of delay to the to what's going on, um, you're going That's when the you'll defeat the echo cancellation. So I don't think it had to do with ARC itself. I think it had to do with external speakers, which would the- theoretically add a delay that could get outside of the of what w- would make make uh, the echo cancellation work.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, that's going to bring us to the. End of our first hour of Q and A. Wanted to thank all the great answers from panelists and all of the excellent producers who were asking those questions. Coming up on office hours, we have got a pretty exciting week. Uh, tomorrow we're doing introspection. Reminder that's not broadcast, so look for the link in the email on how to join. Monday's workforce management, scaling your workforce, maintaining culture as your company grows. I'm going to be there. Craig McFarland's going to be there. Part two of the lab with uh, Apple lower Apple Motion lower thirds with Alex Fordy Goldner. That first one was really awesome. Uh, There's an X32 lab in there. John Wallace is coming in for a revisiting of Power Hour, so lots of exciting stuff. Uh, Just, man, chock full of information. I love it. Let's hop into the second hour. And welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back to the second hour of Q&A. Just a quick reminder, immediately following today's show, we will be holding a meeting for current panelists, So that's right after the show. If you've been on the panel already, this is your meeting. So please be on the lookout for a link in Discord, join the Zoom, and we'll chat. Let's hop into our two. Next question, Mitch.
1: Tony Mobley from Noonan, Georgia asks, What are reasonably priced external hard drives for backup and to share between machines? Go ahead, Mitchell. I like ones that are readily available and inexpensive. So I'm going to say you can go to any drugstore or Best Buy and get yourself a Western Digital Drive. It's not the best one, but it's uh, one that will work for you. And then if you want to go up the food chain a little bit more, uh, get an OWC Envoy. That's uh, the best way to archive archive a uh, video project. Courtney?
3: Yeah, when you're talking about cheap, you know, take into account the transfer speed of these things. You know, you can get the Sandisk. You know, we've had some problems with Sandisk for using for recording off of uh, off of cameras. But if you're just going to use it for archival storage and going between machines, these have a thousand uh, uh, kilobits, uh, megabits per megabytes per second transfer speed uh, to re- write and 1050 to re- to. Uh, record. So uh, that will save you a whole lot of time, especially if you're trying to copy huge amounts of data between one machine and another machine. Take into account that. So 250 bucks is pretty good for four terabytes. Depends on how much you need to store. Uh, if not, you could go to do what Alex does, get you an NVMe caddy that will has a high transfer rate over USB-C and uh, just put some NVMe drives in there. That are of the size that you need and the transfer rate that you need, and be a little bit cheaper if you roll your own and buy just a good caddy that you can pop the NVMe drives in there. I wouldn't necessarily go with the spinning drives because they'll be a whole lot
7: slower. All right, Ronnie. Yeah, and uh, that brings me into the next uh, next idea. Um, Courtney is, of course, correct. If uh, speed is important, you need to, to select something that is probably SSDs. But what we used uh, a few years back, before we started using the Samsung T7, due to speed and, and uh, size and ease of use, and we also can do some edit uh, on them if you don't uh, put that into the... RAID, where we store everything, um, we used uh, actually a docking connected to the computer for overnight backup uh, where you just sl- uh, slid in a, a normal uh, uh, hard drive and uh, let it uh, do its job uh, overnight and you can even remove it the next day and uh, store it offsite if that's important. So uh, a docking for um, 2.5 or 3.5 inch uh, hard drives is also a solution. And
0: Mickey McIntyre in the chat mentions the obligatory PSA I need to read about the 3 one rule. need to have it in at least three different copies of your media on two different types of medium. So hard drives and stuff. And one of them needs to be off-site. Uh, so got to back it up to get it back. Anywho, next question. Laura
1: Thompson from Beaumont, Texas, asked, I know Alex has mentioned the Teams issue on a Mac. I recently experienced it. How do I reproduce it for our IT department?
0: go
4: ahead, Alex. Uh, if you can get a screen capture, you could do it. I mean, I I do find that it's less of a problem now when I'm using two different screens, but when I'm using one screen on a Mac, what happens is, is that the screen, there's this white screen that pops up from Teams that covers up the thing that actually joins and oftentimes is running some kind of cycle that is hard to get it to stop. So, um, uh, I think that trying to It's hard to show because what happens is is it's a white screen and it's unclear why you can't get it to close. Um, The fact that... This has been a problem for window, for for Teams for a year. It's kind of amazing. Um, anyway, but uh, but the um, but it's it, it pops up some random screen. I don't know what that screen's supposed to be because it's just purely white, and it sits over top of my login window uh, when I'm using one screen. When I've split it to two screens, when I've moved it, uh, figured out how to move the login screen to another screen, then it still shows up but I can actually get to the login screen. <laughs> Welcome to Teams. So that's, I don't know how to fix it. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it to someone. I mostly just, every time I'm late to a Teams meeting, I tell them how hard it was to get in and that we should just use Zoom, so.
0: Next question.
1: Tony Mobley, in Georgia asks, I played with using the Zoom Apple TV app in after hours, running by connecting it to my ATEM Mini. Is this a good solution or should I go another way?
0: Alex?
4: I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why, how the Apple TV, why you're connecting to Apple TV through an ATEM Mini. Maybe Guy has a better idea of what this is or or what that experiment was. It, it, like, this is a a group of um, hardware that I don't understand why they'd be connected to each other.
5: Yeah. I just asked the same thing in in McConnell, just to get some clarification, because if he's using the new app, it, it looks like this. So if you, if you, um, if you're on the Apple TV, you have one that's called Zoom for Home TV. So this, this is a new app that was just released within the last couple of days. So when you click on that, you have the option to use your continuity camera. So there's only the only input into this thing is a continuity camera. And then this is what it looks like. If, if you go in and try to choose another source uh, under, under here, under more, and you go to um, settings, your camera is whoops, not help, <laughs> your camera is continuity camera and you can't input any other source at this time. So I think what he means is that he's he's bringing it into his ATEM, which would be how I'm showing you. How I'm showing you this right now. I mean, if I had other people in this meeting, I'd be able to pin them because we still have the traditional, you know, things like uh, active speaker, Zoom gallery view. So I could bring in this feed, but it is going to have, you know, this uh, debris. You can see right. uh, <laughs> there's a dot right there, and there it is. I guess I could zoom in. I could do that old trick where yeah. you know I could punch this in and and uh, and. Uh, so, see. so the Apple TV still has the dot. There, now the dot's gone. See, oh my I can make it go away. See that? <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'm, in a Zoom. I'm in a Zoom app and
5: it's got the dot. Fun stuff.
0: <sighs> All right, next question.
1: Danny Grizzle from Longview, Texas asks uh, do you, the, Does the new Samsung T9 drive fix the buffering issue that plagued the T7 SSDs? Their market copy is heavy on references to sustained read and write
4: speeds. Go ahead, Alex. We need to test it of course. It does look like they may have really tried to address this. They are pushing this as a solution for the Blackmagic 12K, uh, they're I mean it, it literally in their copy it is saying that this is for cinema cameras you know so it so I think that they may have um, the you know they may have focused a little bit more on on this uh, solution so uh, but we do need to, to test it I'll see if I can get a hold of one and we'll, we'll try to um, run a sustained uh, record off of a 12K to it and just see how how well it does um before it before it overheats but but I think that um th- that was such a big issue and such a known issue for the T7s I can't imagine they would put it in anything in the copy about sustained records if they hadn't spent the time to make it work and if they did wow that's a that's a miss but um but I bet you it I'm going to guess that it probably works pretty well but we'll um we'll have to uh, but you know we we don't know until we do it
0: all right next question
1: Zach Stallsmith from Chautauqua, New York. What are some best practices when working with volunteers running production gear? Do you throw audio routing or other actions that might have them dive deeper into the internal workings of the gear or just service level work since they aren't paid? Courtney? It
3: really depends on the level of the person that you're bringing in and what their motivation is. If they're, If you just need some warm bodies to pan and tilt the cameras, uh, you don't necessarily have, have to get them deeply involved in it. But if you're, you're looking for volunteers who want to learn the business, they are going to want to study that hardware and learn how to use it, all that equipment to its best ability. And you can provide them, if that's the type of volunteer you're getting, uh, you can provide them with links to the uh, operator's manual for the uh, camera or the audio mixer or whatever they're going to be doing so that they can... Uh, increase their knowledge and learn how to use it uh, before they get to your uh, venue to use it. And that way they'll have a lot more knowledge. They'll be able to do a lot more. But it depends on the motivation of the people. If you're going to say, oh, we need somebody else on camera three, you know, uh, get uh, my, uh, you know, third string secretary over there. (laughs) That's the old days. And uh, stick her on that camera.
0: (laughs) Sorry, go ahead, Alex.
4: Yeah, I think that um, the, that yeah, we start volunteers typically on doing things that don't that that we can ramp them up quickly, um, so we don't have them jump into things deeply. And there's a couple things you want to see: is a um, what's their technical aptitude? And B, what is their, you know, are they going to actually keep showing up? There's no reason to spend a lot of time training them if, if you don't think they're going to keep coming. So, you know, usually what we do is we make sure that they're going to be there for a little while um, before we start adding weight. Um, and it's really easy also to add weight to someone who gets overwhelmed and then stops coming. You know, they don't have any reason to be there <laughs> until they, you know, so other than that they care about it. So if they start getting uh, stressed about coming because they think it's too heavy. Now, some of them will get activated by that because they get to learn something. When I was 12 years old, I loved going to do audio for, for my local house, you know, the house of worship that I went to uh, because I got to sit in the back. I, I couldn't sit in the pews. I couldn't like be in there and sit for 45 minutes or, or an hour or whatever. I couldn't do that. Like it was just like painful um, to do, to sit there for that. But sitting up in the in the control room and tweaking all the stuff and having my my uncle, who is you know, has been doing audio for 40 years, sit there and tell me how all the stuff works and how all the EQ works, and me trying to make it the best show ever. I was fine. I I could do that all day, and so I came every week to do that, um, to learn. So so I think it it just depends on the kind of person and you have to gauge that over, over some time. I will say that we've talked about this in the past. Having more technical, the mistake people make is they make they they cheap out on the hardware or they try to make it as simple as possible. If people feel, don't feel like they're growing, growing technically is a big draw to keep people in a group. So if you're shooting a, the, the, the most successful AV teams that I've seen, you know, at, at churches have been typically, they have pretty complicated systems that take some time to ramp up. Um, and the reason for that is that, I mean, part of the reason for it is to do a good job. But the other big part is that they get lot, a lot more volunteers because they don't they they have access they get access to cameras and mixers and everything else that they don't get at home you know and and so they they get excited about working. and if you get little things that are 50 dollar mixers and and cheap little camcorders everyone people are kind of like okay well i mean it's 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 mo- it builds a frustration level that has them not want to come because they're just frustrated with the hardware and it's not much better than what they have at home
5: guy yeah, this is a, an interesting question because I, I do a lot of volunteering at my church and, and it was only yesterday that after hundreds of hours that the, my mentor finally showed me a part of the mixer that I had never really delved into. We got to use it last night in a performance, which was just the effects uh, section. You know, I'm used to just running the faders, turning stuff up and down, routing, running cables, all that stuff. But I mean, I've dedicated hundreds of hours to helping and live streaming and it wasn't until just last night, uh, this is years, that he actually showed me where the effects was because I asked him uh, some po- complicated questions about some routing, uh, some aux buses and things like that. And he finally showed me the effects and there was a performer singing and he started to train me a little bit more on what I was listening for and the reverb and the echo. And I, I was just, I was blown away because he's a touring musician. He's a professional, you know, he goes around the world doing this stuff. And so it... it, it it's one of those things where he saw my dedication and he was finally able to go like, okay, this guy's showed up. I'm going to, you know, give him some of the good stuff. And so it's that dedication. If that person, your mentor sees that in you, that spark then, and that you've showed up and you put in the time, then they're willing to put in, the hours into you and give you some of those those golden nuggets but it's kind of like the apprentice you know it's like you got to show up got to show your interest got to show your dedication a lot of people aren't going to just give you those golden nuggets well maybe on this show we'll give you those golden nuggets ask good questions and we'll give you those golden nuggets but you know a thousand people will watch this so you know that's the leverage point here you know we're talking one person versus here we have the opportunity to speak to thousands i don't know what our highest viewed count show is but uh, every day i think we're hitting about a thousand people are watching this Chris?
6: I find it difficult to believe, Guy, that there was something you didn't understand.
5: Oh, man. Once I saw those effects and all the dude, I got to buy myself something XRAT or an X32.
0: What
5: what mixer was it? it? It's just an XR18, but I didn't realize how much, how many of those effects are in there. Like you could scroll on, there's like all kinds of icons or you open them up and then there's all kinds of parameters and I'm just like a little kid in a candy store. So I I find it very
6: hard to, to believe that you hadn't like poked
5: around. No, not on that stuff. It's, it's not, it's not my gear. So I didn't want to go messing with stuff and it's used, you know, for live. So I don't want to mess with it. (laughs) Alex.
4: And that's exactly why he was hesitant to show it to people. Like it's it's that the problem with digital mixers is that you can put them into states that you don't see on the surface. And so so a lot of times we don't tell people a lot of things. We try to lock things out. We don't tell them how to do things because we just don't want them to get, you know, like they'll get excited about something like Guy is. And Guy is an adult. So he'll like not, He obviously what he just said shows you that like he's not going to go crazy with it. But you can imagine handing that to a volunteer and going reverb you know like you know and all these things I can do and they start and what happens is they start creating you know they start playing with that during shows before shows after shows and suddenly you have dials that are in the wrong place you know when you go into the show and and find trying to figure it out um during a show when something's in the ba- in a bad state and trying to figure out exactly where it got adjusted is a nightmare and so you always want to be very careful of letting um your uh newer whether they're employees or volunteers understand how where they can go because they can go very deep and then create something that you have to go find a needle in a haystack during a live show trying to fix.
0: The other thing I'll mention is that if you have older equipment that's no longer in use, sometimes it's great to you know build a little sandbox and say hey you want to see how this stuff works this is not in production go turn all the knobs move all the levers see what stuff is like and one other thing is if you would like to see what it's like to work with a bunch of volunteers and see how people grow through the process I get involved with the office hours community, The between the panelists and the crew. It's volunteer driven and I think it's a really great way to see people grow and how they interact and how they move up within the system. So can't recommend that enough. I'm two months in and loving it. Go ahead, Courtney.
3: And sometimes you can get uh, somebody who doesn't know how to use the equipment and discovers an entire new genre of music. I'm talking to you, Kanye West on Auto-Tune.
0: Nothing like a fresh set of eyes. All right, next question. Sam
1: Reed in Maine asks, a need to do graphics for print? Want to learn color grading for video? Budget is less than $2,000. Thoughts on something like the BenQ PhotoView SW272U monitor uh, versus an iPad Pro, which can be a tablet when it's not a secondary display? Alex?
4: Yeah, if 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 you think that you need to do graphics and you need that BenQ to do the graphics, I wouldn't make the I wouldn't make your iPad a, a daily driver for a monitor. Uh, it is very accurate when it comes to color, but I probably wouldn't go down that path. Um, the if you need it for your graphics for print, that's great. If you're learning color grading, literally getting most monitors. Where was where this? And adding this this calibration is going to get you close enough to get started. Like until you're actually getting paid for it I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily make it more but but calibrating a, any old monitor you know, to where, to what you're doing I mean a reasonably good monitor I think five six hundred dollars um, some you know something that's that's there but but you can do a lot um, you know when you need it when you're actually taking on clients and you need something more accurate but I think you know for the most part. Ninety-five percent of all video production is kind of eyed out. <laughs> like when you, th- not, I'm not talking about Hollywood, but I'm talking that's all colored, but you know, color timed. But but when you look at like the average, many many average things across the entire world, uh, while you're getting started, um, you could you, a calibrated monitor and you learning how to use the tools would be plenty. Um, when you start to get serious about it, start charging people for it then you can start to think about getting a more expensive monitor. But I'd be careful of spending too far into it. The monitor technology keeps moving so quickly um, that you don't want to spend too heavily into it until, you're actually, until you actually need it. It's kind of like when you start skiing, you can use a lot of things, you know, and they can be scratched up and everything else. At some point, <laughs> you start caring. <laughs> you start caring about the, about the ski. The, the difference in the boots and the skis start to matter. Um, but at the beginning, not necessarily.
0: Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael, have you ever had to deal with government or venue regulators that are just absurd and inapplicable to what you're doing?
0: Oh, boy. Nigel.
2: The, the obvious answer to that is yes. Um, this may be more of a Sunday question than a, a Saturday question, but I, I used to have a team in, in China who gave me some advice. That they said in China, there are rules for the passing and there are rules or laws for the following. You've got to work out when someone gives you a regulation whether it was for the passing or the following. If it was the following, you need to follow it. If it was for the passing, at your risk, you can avoid it. But but the best way to know the answer to that question is to find the person in charge and ask them how serious they're going to take it. So that's the lens I always use: Is this? Did you pass this rule because you needed all this law because you were doing something political, or do you really need me to follow it? And if you really need to follow, follow. Courtney,
3: yes. If you're shooting on government uh, property, a lot of times they have some obscene, obscure regulations. Shot a commercial at Cape Canaveral in one of the control rooms for the Atlas V, and uh, our director was a, a, a green card holder, but not a, natu- uh, a was not a, a, a American born citizen they wouldn't let him into the base. So we have to go without a director. And uh, there are other rules. If you had, for every person on that shoot, we had about, you know, 20 people on the crew. Everybody had, if you went anywhere outside the group, you had to have an escort with you. So you have to have an escort assigned to you. If you have to go to the bathroom, you have to have an escort go with you. If you're leaving the other group to go to the bathroom, if you're leaving to go get a cable out of the truck, you got to get an escort, got to make you know, sure, someone, an escort goes with you. If you have to go out to the truck somewhere, you got to have an escort to go with you. So it depends on how serious they are in enforcing those regulations. They're there for good reason, obviously, to pre- prevent espionage or sabotage uh, because they got a lot of expensive rockets going up in the air. Uh, but... uh and you have to obey, but in in normal venues, even like uh you know in shooting in an auditorium somewhere, there's sometimes a fire marshal that will come in and inspect everything, and if you've got cables running across a fire exit, they can shut you down if they want to be a stickler over the rules uh because you didn't obey the rules about you know hazards for people that have to exit in case the building catches on fire. So uh, you do have to pay attention to the regulations, know what they are, and know if there is a stickler of someone who enforces them uh, before you you go into a venue. It's helpful to learn that from the people who who work and operate that venue, the stagehands or whatever who are assigned to that venue. Ask them about how serious they are in enforcing the fire
4: regulations, et cetera. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I, I think that I mean. All venues and almost all locations and most governments have a lot of crazy regulations. Our general process behind that was to find out what they are and try to follow them to a T. Like really try to do everything that we do. It's easier to be not the troublemaker that's constantly breaking, uh, breaking the rules in what they're doing. So really try to follow that into the T. But the other side of that was to really take care of everybody in the venue. So people make a mistake of they they will roll their eyes they will sigh they will give you they will complain about it they will talk about all these other things that is not going to improve your situation um asking them what it is and then executing that and saying yep got it and 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 having your crew worry about those things and then worry about things that e- that even may not even be the rules like i have a lot of rules about if you if you show up in a, in a crew with me and you open up your pelican cases when you open the pelican case that um, when the door opens, the open door that leans a little bit of an angle out has to be a minimum of three inches from the from the wall, and the reason for that is that I never want to be blamed for a nick on the wall, and I need them to be able, to, someone to be able to look at it from a distance and see that we paid attention. So what you'll see are these perfect lines of pelican cases. And these cases open, and all of them are clearly short of the wall, you know. And th- that's not a rule that the venue made. And venue agents don't don't nick our walls, you know. But we do all these things inside of that. But what that communicates to the venue is that you're taking their venue seriously when you when you t- bring carpet squares, when you do you know all those other things. We, for instance, one of the things we do with the, the union has a lot of rules um, <laughs> that you have to follow. But one of the things that we did, and we used to people used to tie us right down to, like we I once had I once went about five minutes over on a lunch break and it cost me $26,000 because what happened was is that I had a big crew. We got over that and live, you can't like reorganize it, but it got me out of the, the time zone that I could do a walk away, you know, or, or no, I'm sorry, I, 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 it wasn't a walk away. It gave me, it got me out of the time zone that I could do and on the clock. And so what happened was I was in meal penalties all afternoon with a large crew and then I was in, uh, and then I was in overtime and meal penalties in the evening. And and that just that one little five minutes, and those guys held me to it. I was a new person. I wasn't. I w- I had been <laughs> cutting a lot of corners and complaining about the union. What I changed to is I gave number one is I built almost everything around uh, one hour walkaways, but I still fed the crew. So they didn't. I, that was kind of a double up. I would I would do must haves for everybody, so we got paid a little bit more. Um, and so then what happened was if something like that happened, everyone was a lot a lot more flexible because I was already going above above what I needed to do. Um, and really taking care of my crew and uh, making sure that they were taken care of all the time. And if, if I, you know, if we went two or three minutes over, no one cared. They just like being on that crew, you know. And so um, now that – and I did everything I can to avoid that. Um, so it wasn't like it happened all the time. It might happen once in a, in a one-week thing. Oh, we're a couple minutes over. Is that okay? And everybody would be like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> you know? So, so you, you have to – you know, but by doing that, I have one fixer that I use, a technical fixer. And uh, he has cigars. In fact, I saw him the other day at at the switch and I I saw John and I was like, hey, where's my cigar? (laughs) He handed me one. So anyway, so, and he would hand out cigars all the time to the truck operators to the, you know, all this stuff and talk to everybody. And, and he mostly, you mostly felt like you didn't know what he was doing. Like he was just wandering around talking to people, but anytime something went wrong, you know, he would solve it, you know, and, and, uh, and so you just, you need, you need to really think about, it's all of those soft, you know, soft skills that get you through a lot of these things, but it starts with a basis of follow every rule you possibly can do, go past that, take care of those things, build it into your system to, to follow all those rules. Don't be constantly trying to find an angle. Like you want to, when you need an exception, then you get that exception, but you've built it on, on trust that you uh, respect what, what, what's going on in there and that you're following everything to a T. Um,
7: Ronnie? Uh, we had a situation the, this other week where we had uh, some outside lighting that we'd done on a on a building for like many many years, and uh, uh, in the middle of the week we got a phone call from kind of a technical uh, or manager uh, at the building that told us that we had to remove the cables uh, and do it uh, some other way. We of course did that, and uh, we asked uh, why why it. Uh, had changed, or or why it was uh, kind of um, turned around, and we did not get an answer, and that was kind of a, a, a dumb thing for us to experience. We'd done it uh, the same way for for many years, and now suddenly we had to do it. So it happens in the in the uh, smallest places as well. But rules are there to uh, oblige. Uh, so most of the rules uh, regarding event production. Um, Uh, Smoke uh, machines or hazers inside uh, in a hotel uh, can have uh, severe consequences if the the fire alarm uh, goes off at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning. So try to follow the rules.
0: And Courtney?
3: And uh, look at logistics. Uh, I remember shooting in uh, Tokyo and uh, hadn't shot in Tokyo before and didn't realize that, you know, Outside shoes are forbidden inside the house of shooting in houses of people. Uh, So you're trying to load in and you've got 72 cases on the truck that you have to get inside into the kitchen. And you're wearing lace-up sneakers. Uh, So you have to go to the truck, which has gravel and dirt out there. You're walking across. You have to get to the door. You have to take your shoes off. Walk, walk the case the other 50 feet, set it down, come back, put your shoes back on. Go back to the truck, get the next case. So we then figured out, hey, you know, a better way to do this was to make inside people and outside people. And have the outside people bring the cases to the door, and then the inside people take them <laughs> to their destination. It's just a simple thought of logistics, you know, speeded things up tremendously. And where you have to observe uh, local customs, you know, so be aware there may not be regulations written down anywhere. There just may be learn about the local customs and try and abide by them
4: to not upset the, you know, create an international incident,
0: you know. All right, Alex.
4: I spent six weeks working in in Tokyo as a visual effects consultant and I haven't had laces since. (laughs) So I have like one, a couple old pairs of shoes that I wear for formal things that have laces, but nothing else has laces because you're going in and out constantly to houses and you're constantly taking your shoes off. And it only took like a week of of taking your laces, unlacing your shoes over and over and over again. They're like, I got to stop doing this.
0: Next question.
1: Todd Wieser from Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Any thoughts on the new changes to Final Cut Pro? And what are your thoughts on the competition between Final Cut
4: and Resolve? Alex? Yeah, I, I think that um, uh, I there weren't a lot of adjustments to Final Cut that m- impacted my workflow uh, very much. Uh, so I don't, I don't really know. I mean, Chris might be able to talk more to anything that he saw or Guy will talk in a second about anything that they saw that's different. As far as the competition between Final Cut and Resolve, I don't really see them as competition. I know people build that up. I use both products. I use both of them about half the time. So I go back and forth. For me, speed, when speed and ease of use and getting something out quickly um, and effectively, like having a high-quality product that comes out very fast, uh, I use Final Cut. I, it was funny. I I was thinking about um, uh, about 20 years ago. I designed a system for for an organization where someone could jump out of a plane uh, with a edit system, <laughs> you know, and a camera, and land in a pretty stressful location, and be able to then stand up and edit, you know, edit things that were necessary. And then and 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 it was a it had to be an an expense that was relatively disposable, you know, in this case, less than $50,000. <laughs> so anyway, so, um, and I built that all around Final Cut. Um, that was fin- the Final Cut three, I think, or two. And and I was thinking about, when you, when you asked this question, I was thinking about would I do the same thing today? And the answer is absolutely yes. Like I would absolutely send you out with a, you know, with a little, it was a basically what looked like a 1510 with a camera, and now you could do a lot more. But the thing is, is that it is um, uh, the, the final cut when it comes to fast and furious editing under, under you know, you need to move quickly and everything else works great. When I need precision, when I have a lot of channels of audio, when I have HDR, when I have, you know, fine color t- things that need to be done, when I have all those things, I move to Resolve. You know, and, and I just, and for me, those don't like, I think Resolve and Premiere compete with each other. And I think Resolve is better than Premiere by a long shot. But I don't, in my world... Final Cut and Resolve don't, they're on all my machines. I have, you buy a lot of Blackmagic cameras and you end up with a lot of copies of Resolve. So I have, Blackmagic, I have I Resolve Studio on all my computers. I have Final Cut on all my computers because I only have to pay for it once. And I use them fluidly back and forth. I don't try to trade them back and forth. I make a decision like this is a Resolve project or this is a Final Cut
5: project. Okay? Guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Final Cut, and Chris and I had this discussion the other night uh, about some of the things in, in Resolve, and I I uh, fought with this the other day because I didn't have my Resolve um, updated uh, when we were showing the camera app, so I'm going to take this opportunity to show you something real quick. This is where I see Resolve really kicking butt, so I'm going to go ahead and hit hit record, and this is now a clip that's being recorded, and that's live, and we'll stop. We'll go over to media. You can see it says it's uploading proxy, right? It's Uploading proxy. You can see it uh uploading the original. Up it's going. And now if I bounce over here to resolve, look at what's happening over there. That red clip right there. This is the project. It's populating. It's grabbing that clip right now. It should be up here in just a minute. And there it is. And now I have that clip that fast. I mean, that could have been anywhere in the world that this clip is now uh you know, and then I could create a, a new timeline. The other thing that I noticed about it is you could say, um, uh, maybe it wasn't right there. There's a spot where you can actually add selected clips. So let's go back to camera uploads. If you grab a bunch of clips, you can say uh, create new, where is it? There was a, insert selected clips to timeline using time code. So if you did time of day time code, you could actually um have the timeline populate with different people at different angles uh and your you know you could put down let's say camera 1 was a wide shot you could lay it down and then you could drop in uh the the close ups from another camera onto the second uh layer v2 and they would all be you know it, at that time of day time code so pretty cool workflow it just depends on you know what you're doing and uh, what you see is, uh, you know, useful. I know Chris just flies in Final Cut, so he was saying that it would take him a long time to learn all the intricacies of, of Resolve. But man, just seeing this and actually doing it—it's uh, beta. Cloud, this, this is not so. Blackmagic Cloud right now is beta. So I had a heck of a time the other day. Get I had to trash my whole project, my whole login, my whole account, even though I had my credit card attached to it, just to get this thing to work. And then when I started fresh, it worked. So what you're seeing right now is a couple hours of me fighting with it. But now that it's working, I'm like, oh, I could see the possibilities of the future. So it's exciting. Chris? So,
6: you know, Guy, interesting. Uh, you just showed me a theoretical demo. The... You said I can have a bunch of different people, and it'll it'll align by time code and it'll put each camera on a different layer. I have not seen that happen. Have you seen? Have you actually seen that happen from three different camera operators on three different layers? Have you have done not, that? But I saw the part have, where it done says done that, that you can have thirty
5: users put it in here. So yeah, I could have thirty I, people have all doing it. Have you done it? Have you done it, or have you seen it happen? Well, Ronnie's nodding his head. Have you done it, Ronnie?
6: So it'll put each camera on a different layer. I haven't seen it happen. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a lie to me until I see it happen. I've seen too many people talk about demos or do things. And then you go to do it. It's like, it doesn't actually do that. So I, I I do have an issue with that. I'd love to see it happen. I'd love to, but whatever. I'll also say that, and I sound defensive and I, I get that, whatever. Um, shut up, Nigel. Uh, um, I think that too many people, and in this business especially, and I saw this happen with my, with my good friend Jack. Jack wanted to make his, his overlanding videos, and he listened to all the things, and he listened to all the stuff, and he listened, on, and he's like, I, got, I guess I gotta get a Blackmagic 6K. So he goes out and he buys this really expensive camera, and then he has to get a lens, and he has to learn how to use it. And then he realizes, I don't need all this. This is crazy for me to be shooting these things." And I talked him into shooting with his iPhone and he's way happier and he's way more prolific and he's way more successful and he's shooting with his iPhone. So oftentimes in this business, it's like, oh, if I can't do, you know, 3D tracking, color correction, power windows, blah, 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 I'm just, I'm a a worthless human being and that's not true. And I think that we overcomplicate things too often. What I really care about is, can I send out an invoice at the end of every day? Can I get paid for my time? And can I be productive? And can I, can I make a living? And can I save money for my grandchildren one day? I think about that much more though, so than how my color grading is gonna work on this video. That's what's important to me, and could Final Cut do more things? Yeah, sure. Is this new upgrade awesome? Eh, it's okay. I think this collapsing down thing, like if I had an editor that worked for me that gave me a timeline that needed to be collapsed down like that, I would be really angry with them. I'd go, hey, you're not done editing this video until you've cleaned this up. Like, I don't need a plugin. I don't need a feature to do that. I just need to train my editors. So, is it awesome? Yeah, whatever, it's, I send out an invoice every day. That's what I care about. If Final Cut went away today, I would move to Resolve. But I would, like I said to Guy the other night, it would take six to 12 months to transition our entire business into that ecosystem. It's overly complicated for what we do. It's got, it's got the better feature set. It does. Yeah,
5: i think I we're know. talking about two different things though so one is like you're trying true bread and butter let's cut these shows and let's keep making money what i think ronnie and alex and some of us are doing is we're going hey we're going to this trade show and we want to collaborate with a bunch of people will this work let's go ahead and push the envelope so we still have our core you know bread bread and butter stuff that we're not going to mess with If that workflow is working don't mess with it keep keep the clients happy but there's like this small little spot over here where it's like well, that's push, spe- the envelope. That, push the envelope
6: that is a specific instance that works oh and mitch is upset uh, i will also say that the you can do the whole camera thing with final cut because with the black magic camera because you can also select a shared drive and the shared drive can be a shared icloud drive just i just want people to know that 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 works also but not with proxies
5: yes it does i've done it. it. does not so this will allow you to select in the settings to say here's the proxy here's the full meal deal Upload proxies only, or upload both proxies, so your editors can get to get to editing right away just with the proxies because they'll upload right away. So in the Final Cut world, how would you tell it the Blackmagic camera app to?
6: Let's do it. Let's do it this afternoon.
5: Okay, I'll meet you in after hours, buddy. (laughs) See you in the back (laughs) schoolyard. I'm gonna kick your butt, guy. (laughs) I've got both
0: open here, so I'm I'll be in I'll be around. I'm ready to be part of the after hours experience.
2: Get ready to rumble.
0: <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, oh. Sunday. Yeah. Hey, Alex, did you have something?
4: All I was gonna say is that yes, I I think that um again I I I fluidly switch back and forth between the two. Um and uh and and so I, I it it just depends on I look at the product project at this point. I mean, I didn't fluidly do it the first time. The first time I was like I had to learn how to use Resolve for a project and it was just trial by fire, but I now I go back think, and forth all I the time. I don't
6: think you and I are using the word fluidly the same way. I still I use both of them. <laughs> you called me angry one day saying I, know, I can't I scroll
4: all right kids
1: yeah the, the reason yourselves.
6: the
4: reason for that was the the that I had um, there's a, a bunch of tools in the touchpad that that you t- that you lose in Final Cut if you go back to a to a ball and that's what that's what happened there so anyway that i had been using a touchpad on a laptop for my Final Cut for 20 years and so I was like this is gone and just because I just didn't have a touchpad so anyway long story
0: all right next question
1: can't we all just get along? Here's <laughs> Phil Ross from Northern Ireland with a question. Hello, can Dante virtual sound card run on an AES67 or would I have to get a PCIe Dante card to convert it?
0: All right, go ahead, Mitch.
1: Uh, Phil, uh they make a, these Avio uh, adapters that do just about everything. That this, this happens to be the analog one, but there's an AES version too. And um, I find them more uh, dependable than the virtual sound card uh, because sometimes software updates will break that. And uh, that's been a problem. But uh, there's probably a Dante AVO to do just about
4: anything that you want to do, and you don't have to deal with a PCI. Uh, and Alex? You would need a Dante card. Don't don't, don't try to mix the formats.
0: All right. Next question.
1: Next question from Douglas Carmichael. Nigel, you mentioned it minimizing cost and complexity as being a prime objective in the business world. Have you ever thought of a complex solution to a problem and then found yourself simplifying when it's actually deployed?
2: Go ahead, Nigel. I think the answer to that is practically all the time. Uh, Almost everything we do, we go through that. I would tell people that uh, when you get a new job, there are three stages of that job. Fix what's on fire, optimize what you have, and then sit down and say, how could I do this completely different? And it's not until you get the third stage, which can often take you a year or plus into doing a job, that you start to see there are better, simpler ways of doing things. But, but there's almost no process. Now, there are some processes that you'd say it's working well enough and it's not actually generating value for additional value for the business by fixing it. But anything that is a core process that adds value, generates revenue or anything, you can always optimize it. You can do it differently to make it better.
0: Alex?
4: You know, I... I people often ask what I do because it's very it's kind of hard to explain and the only way that I can really explain is that I solve complex problems with a series of simple solutions. <laughs> so so i I try to think about what's the simplest way to do this thing um, and then how do we get that out of there and how do we remove oftentimes things that are esoterically better, but not necessarily better um, in, in the process. And I I still try to do things that are very sometimes esoteric in, the, in themselves, but I try to think about the simpler solution for them. Um, and so um, a lot of times, you know, what... Where you reduce complexity, sometimes reducing complexity for a corporate client, for instance, is just not letting them see what it takes to do it <laughs> so so like to them it 's simple because they hire you and it goes away, and you don 't give them all the information that 's necessary for them to be worried about what it what it would look like it 's just like, "Hey, you show it, we showed up, and it worked um, and so uh, so sometimes that 's the case, other times it is i mean it 's why oftentimes I use a lot of hardware. Is because I know where everything's going, (laughs) you know, and everything's working and nothing changes state and everything, you know. So those are things that I um, try to, you know, that I tend to simplify. A lot of times the first version is very complex because I'm just trying to work out like what it can do. But every time, everything we do is trying to figure out how to do it in a simpler way. And I think that that's not common. I think a lot of people get something and then they start making it more complex um, and then it becomes less stable. So you're always trying to look for stability as well.
1: Next question. Hershey Trevetti from Daytona Beach, Florida. What would you recommend for a 55 inch Samsung, a quad six TV to put it on a potential mount? Or would you have any recommendation for maybe something with wheels that the TV could sit on, then be moved around for flexibility, maybe an audio video cart? Go ahead, Mitchell. Chief, pardon me. Chief makes a a number of very high-end carts for doing that kind of thing. And if you're uh, mounting it in your home, check out Vogel. That's with a V. Vogel has some very interesting uh, mounting options for you that uh, make the uh, TV be able
4: to move, turn, do all kinds of crazy stuff. Alex, yeah, I'd, I'd have to. I think I'm not quite clear of what you're trying to do. Um, you know, with this, um, there's a lot of carts that are out there. Um, there's some pretty heavy-duty carts, so you also have to decide what kind of. So, the, when you think about carts or anything moving a, a, t- a TV, it's stability and ease of use versus cost and and weight. <laughs> you know, like so, so you can really figure out because you can get a lot of light light things that are easy to move through your hallways and doors and everything else, but they also um, are you know can fall over or or are not as stable or feel a little a uh, little rickety. Um, the the big ones that we use oftentimes they 're just just thin enough to go through a standard uh, thirty inch door um, and uh, but if you get to twenty seven or twenty inch doors twenty seven or twenty eight inch doors you oftentimes can't get them through um, because they 're built for that that larger office style door so you have to kind of think through those things um, and also how high does it need to go so we have issues where something isn't going high or how low um in some cases for some of our production ones we've literally taken a hacksaw and just cut off part of the the bar because it was sticking out above it and we never needed the the, the thing to get higher than that um and think about the price i mean these things can be as little as uh 80 or 90 dollars i wouldn't recommend it and as much as you know as much as you want to spend like you know, for for these kinds of things but for a a non-high you know non-auto uh non-motored version the upper end of those is about four or five hundred dollars, and so you just have to decide in those in those ranges what you're looking for. So a couple more, I think I need a couple more data points there.
5: Guy, yeah, it depends on if you're rolling over carpeted uh, floors, and because those casters really do make a difference. We have a couple different models at our church, and I noticed that somebody cheaped out and got some with the cheap casters, and then you could tell the ones with the bit better casters. That uh, I looked up that uh, particular TV, and it says that it's thirty one pounds. So, you know, there's a couple of these different ones, but like at ex- exhibitions or trade shows, you know, we don't mess around. So we, we get stuff that's heavily weighted so it doesn't get knocked over by somebody. But some of these other ones, like on Monoprice, I, I found this one for 139 bucks. You could see that the casters, ah, it's kind of like one of those things where how often are you going to be moving it because these, these can uh, come out to bite you. So uh, just be careful, uh, do your research, read the reviews, and see what makes sense.
1: Next question. Next one is from Allen in Manchester, England, and it's a QR code question. If you've recently embarked on a freelance career as a multi-camera production service provider equipped with all the necessary gears but are currently lacking clients, what strategies would you employ to secure opportunities and gigs?
0: Go ahead, Ronnie.
7: Uh, first of all, uh, I would uh, speak to the local rental companies or uh, audio companies that do uh, productions in your area. Uh, they very often have uh, little or few uh, personnel that can do uh, streaming and uh, video work. So those will be the first ones. Um, Another thing you can do is try to identify any verticals that needs these services and contact them directly. Uh, And of course um, have uh, have a good connection with uh, event uh, managers or event companies that do uh, plan these productions uh, on behalf of their clients and of course uh, it's not uh, bad to also know all the people in the technical departments uh, in hotels and venues in your area Alex
4: generally uh, the way I've embarked in most things is you do things for free for a long time <laughs> so so you 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 know I look for nonprofits uh, when I got started I was looking for nonprofits for things that were worth doing, um, things that I was interested in. You're trying to build up, you know, finding other people to work with. I mean, one of the things we've always, you know, we've, that has been successful inside of office hours is you find other people that are in your area that are in, that are office hours members that might want to help you with doing some of those things. That way you start to mix mix and match and start to talk to other people. People have built whole companies <laughs> inside of office hours by by doing stuff and figuring stuff out together. So, so there is a um, finding other people within this network or another network that you can do Ideas you know go cover something we've done these we've covered events we've gone covered soccer games we've covered now I mean that is a the thing you have to remember is that like for me you know i'm um trying to figure out like we we covered a soccer game last year i'm trying to a figure out you know how to do it and b i'm trying to meet new people that maybe I can work with in the future <laughs> you know, so you know oftentimes uh, when i'm showing up i'm I'm trying to identify eventually i'm going to need more people to do something or eventually I'm going to need people in other parts of the world. And so when I show up for something I'm usually looking for people that I can work with in the future. Um, and so uh, and same thing with here you know uh, with what we do here. So so the, so I think that you're, you're trying to find you know free gigs is a great way to meet people and see what they're made of you know. And um, so I try to do it when I can when I have time I try to do as many of those as I can um, because it allows it, it see it lets me see who they are and I've had people that that have been very very uh, you know I've worked with them a lot but it didn't start with a you know a formal gig it started with us playing around with ideas um, but until you have that 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 you're building that network and that network is everything everything about this industry is who you know it's someone trusting that they can call you and that you're gonna show up on time and you're gonna have what you need and you know what you're gonna do and you're gonna be client facing and appropriate and all those things all those things i'm sure you are but i'm just saying that you have to prove that to people because it's usually their name on the line it's their clients on the line yeah we don't like chris talk to the clients we, we try to keep away so um but the uh but the but I, I think that that is um the way that that the way that i've always approached it i mean for the last 35 years is just get your foot in the door however you can get it in um it drives people in the business crazy when people do it the way i do it because they're like, well, someone should have gotten paid for that. <laughs> but most of the time I'm I'm offering my services to people that would never hire someone to do it. Like they're not, you know, this is they're not in a position to do that. That's how I got into live streaming. I was there was some event there was a couple blocks from our office and I and I I said, Oh, I can live stream it. I'd never live streamed before. I had to figure out how to use Ustream and had a web camera. It was horrible. Um and I and you know, within you know, a couple years after that, three or four years after that, I was doing the streaming for Salesforce. You know, and so so it was just a matter of but we started getting into it and I, you know, I got my nose whacked pretty hard on that one, you know, of, of it just feeling like a disaster. Um but if you do it for free, you don't have people really I mean, they can be somewhat upset, but the the amount of upset if they're reasonable people is limited. <laughs> so 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 um so that's usually where how you experiment and how
5: you figure it out. Guy? Yeah. As Alex was saying, doing stuff for for free or no cost. Uh, Locally here, we have 48-hour film competitions, and I'm sure you have them in all the major cities. This is where I see a lot of the camera operators, a, a lot of the audio folks, uh, the directors, talent wardrobe, makeup artists, they're all getting together. They're all seeing who's who, how they work together, and especially under 48 hour when you're, you're under tremendous pressure. But you see how people show up. I, I wouldn't recommend going out and buying a bunch of gear and running yourself into debt and then having all this fancy stuff that's just appreciating before you have a rhythm of, of, of clients that are going to help. Offset those expenses, so you, you want to let people know what you 're capable of, but not invest in that equipment until you 're ready like I, I really want to buy like a nice you know big o v band like uh, uh, Jeff Keithley has i mean his his Tesla and his old fleet bus and all that stuff that 's years and years of of you know being out there and in the in the in the field in the trenches and now he 's got a steady uh, tennis show that he 's regularly producing and it's just years it doesn't happen overnight it's going to take a uh, it's going to take time but start small and work yourself up and uh yeah wish you the best alex
4: I will say, being the person that, that has, the, has the gear gets you into a lot of things, especially if you're willing to bring it along and, and use it. I had a, I was in Minneapolis and we were shooting this short film and this guy showed up with the biggest, you know, techno jib, it, was, it wasn't a techno jib, but it was like a techno jib, it was a, it was a, this giant jib and it went in and out and, and, and I said, so how long have you been in the film industry? He goes, oh, I'm just getting started. I'm like, and you have this jib? And, and, and he's like, well, I figured if I bought the jib... Um, and it was really nice. I mean, it was, and, and he said, "If I, I figured out about the jib and I said, I'd do it for free. People would let me, you know, run it at their, at their, you know, short films and stuff like that. And I could make friends, you know, and, and I said, what do you do?" And He goes, oh, I'm retired. This guy's in his mid thirties. I'm retired. And I said, and, and he, and I said, what did, what did you, how, you know, how did you retire? And he goes, oh, I had this problem with snoring. And I thought, what if I just put a little strip over my nose? <laughs> So, He's a breathe right guy, so that's way he wanted to get into film and and um uh and and uh, and so he was he was retired. And he he just bought a big jib and just and everyone and and I will tell you, everybody invited him in that area to be on their films because they're like, hey, we can get a big jib for free, and he got to meet a lot of people and everything else. So if you can be audacious, if you somehow have that money, I wouldn't go into debt as 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 guy said, but if you have a little extra money and you want to you know get in having a having something that no one else can get does get you invited to a lot of parties, <laughs> so, so it just, it's just the other, the other piece of that.
0: Next question.
1: Jeff Cohen from Miami Beach, Florida. Has anyone used Pavley Connect? It's an
4: automation platform competitor to Zapier, IFTTT, etc.? Alex? I don't think anyone here has, but I think that Jeff and I are working on trying to automate some of the stuff for the um, uh, uh, gray matter and so. Uh, and so I think that we'll, we'll experiment with it. Um, we're going to, we're going to play with it. What we're trying to do is, is have a, uh, when we finish, I record the tracks in Audio Hijack. I, I record them on the mix pre as well, but I, re- you know, there's like four records going on <laughs> to make sure we don't lose it. And, um, but that's the file that usually gets edited up. And what we're trying to do is when we finish in Audio Hijack, just have it as soon as I hit stop, you know, cause Audio Hijack has... Steps it can take after that have it just upload to FrameIO, you know, automatically and send out like here it is and all that stuff. So, we're uh,
0: we're working on that. We'll let you know. Next qu- Next question.
4: A
1: QR code question from Josh Howitt in Hernando, Missouri. Can this be done using Raspberry Pi? My application would be streaming from a remote location to a Raspberry Pi at my home and letting that do the multicast.
0: Alex,
4: uh, the. What, I think what he's referring to is multi-streaming. Um and so the Raspberry Pi is barely I'm not even sh- sure it's strong enough to do one stream. Definitely not strong enough to do multiple streams. <laughs> so don't don't expect your Raspberry Pi to do uh stream out to multiple locations. Uh you probably need something a little bit beefier, which I think Courtney's about to show you. Go ahead, In Courtney. The, this is a T9 uh
3: mini computer. It has two gigabit Ethernet ports on it. Uh and it has a 12th generation uh uh Intel N one hundred processor, so it's quad core. It has sixteen gigs of memory and uh plenty of and comes with Windows Pro, so you don't have to have a specific type of there's lots of Windows software that could could you could press into service to multi-stream uh out your to. You do have to make sure that your home and this this thing, you know, here's the current price. 160 bucks, So it's a little more expensive than a uh, Raspberry Pi, but it'll be much more capable of uh, getting the signal out to multiple streaming services. Uh, But you do have to make sure, I would make sure your home has, you know, fiber, or at least symmetrical, uh, uh, symmetrical internet connection where you've got, you know, 100 megabits up uh, to be able to stream to multiple at the same time as well as down.
0: Next question,
1: Ronnie Hofse from Tromso, Norway. What is the preferred enclosure for a Blackmagic Decklink card to connect to our Lenovo Legion Windows laptops? The Sonnet Echo Express SE One Thunderbolt we use on our M1 MacBooks does not work. Alex,
4: yeah, it's, uh, the Sonnet's too small, right? Is that your that's your issue, or it doesn't
7: connect? It doesn't connect. So, but it fits no, the card. No. Uh, Well, the Sonnet uh, and the decklink is uh, used on our Macs, uh, usually. Okay, normally, but uh, when we connect it to the probably USB only on the on the Lenovo's, it doesn't uh, detect uh, either the cabinet or the decklink.
4: I think that it's because it's a. uh uh, I think that that is a problem with it being a Thunderbolt. I think it's a Thunderbolt connection. So you have to make sure your Lenovo. I don't think that the Lenovo has a Thunderbolt. I think it's USB-C 3 and it needs to be Thunderbolt. So what you need to do is find a Thunderbolt one. I think that OWC might make one um, that also does that as well. But you do have to look for Thunderbolt versus... Uh, and I don't... Since we mostly use Macs, um, I'm mostly in that. But I think that the only other... Company we've used for enclosures is OWC. OWC has like a larger one, I think that they that they have available to you. And I don't know if that that one might be Thunderbolt as well. So you have to look at that. But I don't know of the of a, a external enclosure for um, USB C necessarily. If if that's not one.
0: Next question,
1: and it's from Douglas Carmichael. The Yamaha DM3D is a very appealing small digital mixer, but its USB interface requires a vendor-specific driver. Would you be concerned about Yamaha being slow to respond to future versions of macOS as time goes on? Go ahead, Alex.
4: Uh, based on our experience of their um, software tools, yes, <laughs> yes, it'll it'll take a long time. May never happen. It won't. It'll be clunky. Like they're they they make great boards, and we love their boards. I find that their software is a little clunky.
0: All right, next question.
1: And the final question for today, Brian Stark in Nottingham, UK. Does anyone have experience of the Synaptic SE1 headphones currently on sale in the UK for a reasonable 160 pounds? Are ribbon speaker headphones an inherently better technology?
0: Uh, Go ahead, Alex. Here they are.
4: This this is the headset that you're talking about. So yes, I have them. Uh, They did send them to me to to review, and I think I talked about on MacBreak at some point. So what I will say about these is they at first they will feel a little without a um a headphone amp, which oftentimes is a lot more expensive than the headsets are. They do feel a little um a little soft. Um so so the uh, so with the headphone amp they they actually they they do pretty well. But otherwise they seem you know you really have to have a clean environment to listen to them. And they're not necessarily quiet, but they're not definitely not as loud as some of the other ones, probably better for your ears. Um, I will say that the clarity feels much higher, like in, in, in this ribbon, and ribbons are kind of known for that, but on on these ones going, I, I will say I have, you know, I have the, of course, the the Apple, this is the Apple um, Max, and these, and i kind of went back and forth with these to kind of listen to them. And I, I shouldn't have done that, um, because after listening to these, they look funky, you know. You can see <laughs> a lot of headset there, and like this is the part that like pushes up against your head and everything else. These really s- feel very muddy after after listening to these. You hear, you start hearing a lot more detail in them. My only complaint is, of course, that they're not as you know they they feel a little quiet at times, and so I really have to have a quiet space to listen to them. But you really do feel something more, and, and if you have a headphone amp, I was able to test them with a headphone amp, but they were much better but but on the bluetooth or a basic connection i i found that they felt a little quiet but outside of that it's their the detail is
0: much higher than
4: the Max's and and many other and and also my audio-technica headsets that were wired um the detail was better on the on the ribbons.
0: Uh, go ahead Mitchell.
1: Yeah, i agree with the detail but be careful they're not great with dropping headphones.
4: They're sensitive. No one should drop headphones. That is a, a you know don't do that
0: or mics, or really any any audio devices, just you know, just don't drop drop them. Or subscriptions, or... All right, well, uh, that'll do it for another great Saturday. Thanks everyone. Uh, Some gratitude to a fantastic panel here, such a great wealth of knowledge and perspective. We really can't do it without you, I sure appreciate it. Also thanks to the incredible team on the back end, uh, the development of the tools that we're using, running the production. Every day of the week, they make us look great, sound great, and give us tools to make it look easy. So, so appreciated. Finally, thanks to all the producers who submitted great questions, without which there would not be a show. So, uh, thank you, thank you. If we didn't get to your question, don't fret. It will appear in the notes section of in that little hamburger menu, so you can submit it for next time. QR questions will flow in on their own. And uh, one last reminder, immediately following the show, right now, We've got a meeting for current panelists, so if you've been on the panel already, this is your meeting, please be on the lookout for a link in the Discord to join the Zoom. On the Tlaloc Traversal today, we've traveled 79,624 miles, that's 128,143 kilometers, and that is 630 million bananas for scale. All right, let's jump into After Hours, thank you.
6: That's a lot of bananas. That is a lot Mine's so so, so much. Come potassium. Today.
0: They're coming in the mail today.
6: Was got it, a, it was, I was going to say somebody asked me for the link for the, what would you call it, the Imperial Banana?
0: The Imperial Banana, yes. Uh, and I was talking to Chad. We might have a little little fun idea for what we can do with the other bananas in the bunch. <laughs> make a necklace out of them.
4: You make a hat. You can you can get make a hat out of it. We like them. Yeah. Move it,
0: move it. On my travels, I like as I you know do in real life meetups, I'm going to give out the bananas to other there, oversized there producers it's and we'll like start a, it's a little. It's kind of like a
4: challenge coin, except it's a yeah. banana.
5: Yeah. See, it's it's yeah. like when I visited Pretto, I got my patch. It's like CJ diffusion for your bananas. Bananas. I could have this diffusion behind me, or I could have you know a thousand bananas behind my wall. Yeah. 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 That'd break these up the these are one no of the original bananas. bananas,
7: but my cats have uh, started to eat on them. I guess they are destroying them slowly.
5: Tasty. Nice job, CJ. Uh, thank you.
0: See you in after hours. See you later. We'll do that lab. I'm in. I'm around all day today. My wife's volunteering at a...